everyone, welcome to the 11th episode of the Genre Equality Podcast. I'm Hinzer. I'm Hadi. I'm Aisa. Uh, we have a big month for you guys because we are covering post-Halloween fair. Yep. Meaning tons of horror, <laughs> tons of monsters, tons of devils, tons of demons. demons. Uh, some of them are heroic, some of them are sympathetic, and some of them are hormonal monsters. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so a variety and uh, an assortment of demons uh, that we'll be talking about. Uh, you know, tragic ghosts with the haunting of Hill House, which I think is the show of the month. For sure. For and sure. also the return of Michael Myers, which is the biggest movie of the month. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have lots to talk about, including a sympathetic Dracula and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we get into the nitty gritty of uh, the content this month, Let's uh, do a bit of housekeeping. Let's, let's do some. Go. Let's do some announcements. Uh, because we live in Singapore, um, our co-host Isa Fong will be away for reservist next month. Yep. Yeah. So he will be out of town. Not out of town, lah. Out uh, of commission uh, for the twelfth episode yeah. of Genre Equality. Uh, in the meantime, though, we do have some special guests lined up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, our friend uh, Christopher Falk, who is a noted playwright yeah, right. with uh, Dark Matter Theatrics. And we also have uh, Izianti Asari, who is a prolific designer and a fan fiction reader mm-hmm. and, a, and a big, big, big Harry Potter fan. Potter expert. Mm. Uh, we all like Harry Potter, but I think her knowledge of Harry Potter like outstrips all of us. Let's. The deal is that I think myself and Chris are just casual fans of Harry Potter So we will be talking about Fantastic Beasts mm-hmm. 2, The Crimes of Grindelwald next month mm-hmm. I think I'll, I'm very ill-equipped to really delve into that mythology no we'll So that's why Is and Hardy will be doing the bulk of that lah. Um, Others and slight bits of news I'm going to be introducing a mid-week uh, show called Drone Quality Interviews. Once mm-hmm. in a while, we'll have some interviews here and there. Uh, in a couple of weeks, or maybe three weeks, you'll see something pop up. Uh, an interview with uh, Guillaume Le Mans, mm-hmm. who is the screenwriter for um, The Last Breath mm-hmm. and uh, The Night That Eats the World. Yep. Uh, two French uh, movies. One is a sci-fi disaster movie. One is a zombie movie. Um, so he is in town for the the French Film Festival as mm-hmm. well as the Singapore Writers Festival. Uh, got in touch with him over email, so I'm gonna talk to him uh, for a quick chat for about you know twenty minutes to half an hour. I'll record that. I'll put that up on Genre Equality, and it will be uh, a new segment that we have lah. Hopefully, we get to talk to other writers and directors and yep. of of note uh, from Singapore and beyond. Uh, I'm glad that we got an international guest for the first one lah. Yeah. Uh, and last bit of news, I actually did an interview with something called Telem Media mm-hmm. and they do um, shall we say news and updates about the local media and communications uh, industry mm-hmm. uh, so they have a monthly magazine uh, for Telem Media like, which they which they send out to uh, all the people in the industry so they were doing an episode uh, well an issue about podcasts yeah. so uh, they actually emailed me out of nowhere they said oh, like hey are you like the co-host of this genre of content and I hit some like yes how do you know uh, and then you know, I answered a bunch of questions for them about you know what I think about the local podcast scene is and what I'm trying to contribute, you know, and why I think this is a, a growing field uh, mm. as all media eventually moves online. Yep. You know, stuff like radio will become less prominent. Yes. It's already less prominent. It is terribly so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's all the bits of housekeeping that we have this month. Uh, any bits of news that you guys would like to bring up? Bring up, or do you just want to dive right in? Let's it? dive in. Yeah. Let's dive in. Plenty to talk about. Yes, uh, the first thing we'll be talking about is the return of Daredevil back for season 3 uh, and it is really really awesome. Yeah. This is Netflix's first MCU show 
and it's still, in my opinion, its best show. Mm. Um, the show returns to peak form whenever Matt Murdock is up against Kingpin. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio really sets the bar way too high in terms of MCU villains, yeah. and he does so once again. Yeah. Uh, but far from being a two-man play, this particular season is the first time the show has properly serviced its excellent supporting cast, yes. uh, from regulars like Karen Page and Foggy Nelson, to outstanding newcomers like uh, Sarcastic Nun, Sister Maggie, mm-hmm. uh, who has a great twist later on, yes. uh, we won't spoil it yet, uh, and Hindu FBI agent Nadim. Yes. Uh, I don't know why I built him that way, Hindu FBI agent. Indian. <laughs> he's Indian. Yeah. And he does speak Hindi, right? Yeah. He does. Uh, at least that's what the subtitles say. don't know whether he's Hindu though. The subtitles say he speaks Yeah, I don't yeah, know he's well, Hindu. Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. An Indian FBI agent Nadim. Uh, and also a creepy, tragic villain, uh, sub-villain, called yeah. Dex, aka Bullseye. La. For those of you yeah. who follow yeah. the comic books, we yep. know he's Bullseye. He's absolutely frightening in uh, fight scenes, by the way. Yes. Um, everybody gets a thoroughly compelling arc. Uh, they all have family issues, yeah. moral dilemmas, or an independent stories aside from Matt and Fisk, which mm. gives the show tangible stakes because you care about them, because you know what they can lose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, Daredevil, like, uh, literally back in black and back to basics. What do you guys think of season 3? Season 3... Well, it was definitely a leg up from season two and the defenders, you know. Yeah, for sure. It was a return to form, as you said, mm. with uh, Kingpin being back um, from prison and how he got out mm. was a stroke of genius. Uh. Indeed, he indeed. is the Kingpin. Yeah, like, exactly, Kingpin. right? Yeah. So by the end of the season, you realize how big actually, how powerful Kingpin really is, la. Yeah. You get glimpses of it, but not really mm. until the the end, you know. And that yeah. review at the end, when I won't spoil it now, but. When you find out, like, holy shit, yeah, the yeah. devil is really outnumbered. He really is five steps behind. He's outplayed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, but my standout, I think, would be Poindexter. Mm. Uh, this character was intriguing from the get-go. Mm. Uh, his uh, conflict, his inner conflict yeah. within, uh, all his tendencies, trying to control his, his uh, more um, wilder tendencies. Psychopathic tendencies. Yeah, psych- yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, psychopathic tendencies. I don't think it's that much of a story. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know his bullseye. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, his psychopathic tendencies, how he has been keeping it under control. Mm-hmm. Uh, all that... A bit like Dexter, right? A bit, yeah. yeah. A more oh, wait, polished he, Dexter. He, yeah, he is Dexter. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel a way more polished Dexter. Yeah. Like, um, I, I was so impressed by how this, this um, bullseye was created. Like. Yeah. I mean, we all remember Colin Farrell's. Uh, oh no, Colin yeah. Farrell, yeah, right. Colin Farrell. Not really his fault, lah. No, no, it's no, no. It's a script. Written, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, definitely. But Colin Farrell's portrayal of Daredevil, uh, Daredevil yeah. of a bullseye, lah. Mm. You know. So I'm glad that such a significant uh, villain, apart from Kingpin, has been fleshed out well as well. Yeah, yeah. I think just the, uh, um, just giving <clears throat> so much more space to the cast this time around really helped to kind of flesh everything out and help with the pacing which I felt was sorely lacking in the second half of season 2 with mm. Elektra, right? Post-Punisher. Yeah, yeah, post-Punisher. And I think this is the kind of the first time because for both the Punisher and Elektra arcs, right, it diverted a lot away from Matt, you know, uh, and that sort of kind of like uh, ruined the kind of very focused storytelling that they had uh, with uh, season 1 with Matt and Kingpin. Mm. So the introduction of Bullseye into that universe... <clears throat> or rather this universe that they've currently built right and how um they've put it under <coughs> how he slowly becomes part of uh under Kingpin's influence and yeah. how he's turned yeah. and all of those things right why uh, are many people under Kingpin's influence, influence. that yeah. you don't know like he's so insidious and so smart yeah. about getting you under, under your skin and getting yeah. you on his side yeah, yeah. 
So I, like, I really, really enjoyed that. And I thought that it really helped with the pacing overall mm. for the entire series. Because most of the <clears throat> Marvel Netflix stuff has been problematic that way. Mm. But I didn't feel that for this particular one. Uh, also, just Dagger with Hardy's like, entire thing. The flashback episode with... Uh, Karen? Dex, no, Dex's, oh, Dex's, uh, one, yeah. Dex's uh, kind of like childhood Therapy and yeah, all of that right. was brilliant. That's a really creative way of, of showing a flashback. Yeah, right? yeah, it was and I really enjoyed that. I didn't expect it and I thought it made things very clear, mm-hmm. you know, as to as to what his motivations were and where he came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, overall, one of the more, one of the really well-fleshed out villains that we've gotten so far from, from Marvel Netflix. Mm-hmm. Mm. Marvel Netflix is actually... More so than the MCU, like, who've only been doing so recently with Vulture, Killmonger, yeah. and Thanos, obviously. Uh, I think Marvel Netflix, starting with Kingpin, and then with Kilgrave, uh, and then, I guess Punisher is an antagonist, but not really a villain. Yeah. So they've been doing well in in terms of, like, fleshing out uh, the antagonist, and the complex antagonist, mm-hmm. uh, which is why I felt, like, the hand failed so yeah. miserably, is because, like, they were just this unseen shadowy force yeah. with a bunch of masked, almost foot, sho- foot, soldiers, foot soldiers, like like the party patrol that Power Rangers yeah, fight. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, they yeah, mean yeah. nothing, like, you know. And what's worse is that it felt, okay, I know this sounds weird, right? Yeah. But it felt very comic book-ish. This season? No, 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 I mean... Uh, the hand, hand one. I mean, yalla. Yeah. <laughs> it's a... Uh, <laughs> It's it, that's the roots of the show. Exactly yeah. la, but yeah. it doesn't help that it doesn't help the, the series la. Yeah. The hand felt like a parody of the hand, which is what Thank Teenage Mutant Ninja yeah. Turtles did with the foot la, yeah. the foot clan yeah. So it felt more like the foot clan <laughs> than the hand. Uh, speaking of um, and Bullseye, obviously you've addressed this complex psychology. I thought the first fight between uh, Daredevil and Bullseye in the bulletin uh, is awesome too because I've never seen Matt quite outclassed yes. in that in that way. Um, clearly, Matt is better at like hand-to-hand combat. So whenever they're in closer range, mm. uh, you know, Matt always has the advantage. Yeah. You know, he just pieces him up to the body and stuff. But at distance, his abilities seem really frightening. Yeah. And Bullseye on paper is one of those uh, villains when you think about... He, I mean, his superpower is kind of corny. Like. He can aim, right? He yeah, can aim well. Basically. Yeah, but then when you see, actually see in action, you know, he's in the office, he's just throwing random shit like like um, staplers and scissors. And then like, there's, there's just no way he can dodge, you know. Yeah. He, he comes off nowhere, he ricochets things. Ricochets things, yeah. Um, it seems really, really frightening. Like. Just him throwing random objects. I thought that was very, very well done. Mm. And um, I mean, speaking of fight scenes as well, episode 4, uh, 11 minute one take set piece. Uh, at the prison is uh, mm. one of the more jaw-dropping uh, sequences that they've ever done and this yeah. is a show that always has one, one. jaw-dropping sequence every year yeah. and this was long right? It was 11 right. minutes? Yeah. Uh, 11 the, the first season had the hallway fight yeah. the yeah. second season had another hallway fight but then, the down, elevator. but then down the stairs yeah. and the elevator uh, they also had the prison fight yeah. with uh, Punisher mm. so this feels like a combination of all three uh, the previous fight scenes yeah. into one 11 minute long take yeah. and it was impressive also because this was when Daredevil wasn't at full uh, full powers here yeah, which exactly. made him seem more vulnerable with yeah. added more stakes la. yeah exactly yeah consequence uh, I, I love it it's a, it's a masterpiece and I think the best this show has done even by its already high standards yeah. mm, for sure. uh, one of my favourite aspects of season 3 also is like Matt's crisis of faith mm-hmm. and the conversation that he had with uh, the hard nosed nun Sister Maggie about it some of my favourite parts as well as well as they actually took the time to uh to show how arduous it, it was for Matt to get back into shape mm. post post defenders la. So like whenever he he was back to full strength it felt earned. 
Like yeah. it, it didn't feel like oh I slept in uh, this basement for a couple of weeks and then fine and kill. It's not like that time um, Arrow fell off a cliff and then he drank tea and, <laughs> and he was better. okay, you know, in yeah. one episode, you know. Yeah. Uh, which is strange, you know, because um, this particular season is run by a guy called Eric Olison, uh-huh. uh, who actually uh, show ran that particular season of Arrow that I was talking oh, about. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, Tiana. The the one with uh, the Russell game. Russell Goo mm. and all of that. Um, I was very surprised uh, presently because I thought this was going to be a disaster. I didn't, didn't like his seasons of Arrow. Yeah. Uh, but I guess that was just a CW thing. Maybe he was hampered by some studio stuff that had more freedom here. So I'm glad to see that. Uh, there's just something about Daredevil that feels more serious even when compared to the other tonally and conceptually dark MCU shows like yeah. Punisher and Jessica Jones. Uh, the dialogue, the acting, especially the mental and physical toll that every event has on Matt feels so much heavier. Yeah. And I'm not saying like conceptually Jessica Jones's like rape isn't heavy or what Punisher goes through isn't heavy like post-traumatic stress. Uh, but I don't quite feel it in the same way. No, yeah, I get not. it. Yeah. yeah. I think they've, they've done very well to kind of like allow us into Matt's head, right? Mm. Um, just with the way that he's experiencing things. A lot of the point of view stuff that they've been doing kind of like cutting from his point of view into, into the rest of the dialogue and things like that. Uh, really does put us in a very interesting position that I don't think we've had for the other seasons of Daredevil yet. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, they'll blur the screen and then they'll make it, uh, they'll muffle the sound for us yeah. mm-hmm. to, to have an understanding of what Matt is going through. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic stuff here in, in terms of putting you in his head. Yeah. And your your feet and he has no power, so you feel his beatings. You know? Yeah. Like when when bones are broken, it takes a while and, and stuff like that. Like he's not Luke Cage. He's not bulletproof. Nope, he doesn't nope, have a nope. going fist. No. Doesn't have superpowers like Jessica Jones does. So that's great, la. Um, let's delve into some uh minor spoiler territory. Sure. Uh, in five, four, three, two, one. Okay, we're gonna be talking about spoilers right now. So if you are tuning in, this is on you. Uh, first big thing I guess is Sister Maggie being Matt's mom. Yeah. What oh, the hell? I, uh, I didn't see that coming. All the clues were there, but yeah, I didn't see it coming either. So that was really well earned. It, it was. It really, really was. And I think like the point at which they placed the twist yeah. was perfect, right? Just in in terms of the entire plot and how they contributed to that, the thing was I mean, so good. They didn't realize how acutely sensitive Daredevil's hearing was. Or? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, she she is like quite unfamiliar with Daredevil. Exactly. I mean, she's only she's just not like the father. Correct, yeah. Sorry, um, the priest who died. Yeah. The priest who died, who's not the father. Who's not the father. Yeah, the father is Jack. Yeah. Uh, second little twist that I want to talk about is the end credit sequence in the, in the final episode mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> when Dr. Oyama is introduced operating on Dex's broken spine. Um, so as you can see, the Fox deal is already coming to play because Dr. Oyama is a, a major X-Men character. In fact, Lady Deathstrokes, uh, Death Deathstrokes, yeah. Deathstrokes, dead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and also the inventor of the procedure to melt uh, adamantium with bone. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. So that's why it's like, it was a big deal. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a very short scene. Uh. Yeah. So canonically, um, Bullseye is actually the first person to get the proper procedure done. Mm. Yes. Uh, 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 Weapon X was experimental. It was experimental. Yeah. It wasn't just experimental. They actually stole the plans from Oyama. Mm-hmm. So Oyama actually didn't... Um, uh, didn't like oversee that actual thing. So yeah. it, the only reason they could pull it off was because of the of Wolverine's regenerative power. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. So at the moment I heard Oyama, I was just like, oh Lord Darkwing. Yeah. yeah. Right. So now we have adamantium in in um, the MCU. Yeah, in the MCU. Quote unquote lah. Yeah. Quote, I, uh, they didn't quite refer to it as adamantium yet because the Fox deal hasn't actually come true. But yeah. they are they are already pre- preparing for it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. uh, that's cool. Uh, next little point I want to bring up 
is that this is this season is obviously based on a very famous arc called Born Again. Uh, yeah. Where um Karen was actually a heroin addict. Yes. Uh they actually found a way to make Karen a heroin Harry addict, addict. Yeah. without actually Harry. it being a consequence. <laughs> Uh, but it also makes sense because it, it happened in a flashback. Yeah. Uh, it's smart. I like the placement of the flashback also because it made us care more about Karen just before Bullseye goes to kill her. All right. Yeah. Uh, and also, I would like to compliment uh, Foggy this particular season. Yes. Uh, yeah. I I've always kind of I mean I appreciate Foggy. Like they've always given him like meaty material, but I kind of hate Foggy at the same time also because he's kind of a wet blanket in terms of like you know the vigilante stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so he's a bit like Felicity from Arrow you know, to bring that up yeah, again yeah. sometimes. But like even though he is the moral compass and voice of reason, and his insistence on doing things the right way and the moral way makes people hate him and roll and, their eyes. And I completely disregard him and I'm annoyed with him for the longest time, right? But but uh. It just ended up proving why people like me and Karen and Matt need people like him. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It yeah. Is, it, and it, it, in, the, in the end, I'm like, oh, fuck, yeah. I mean, okay, of course, Hoggy is right. Rah. But, like, in, in the heat of the moment when, like, you're emotionally riled up, yeah, like, like, I want to go kill Kingpin. Yeah. Yeah. And you saw, like, the, de- the how devastating it would have been for Matt, like, if he actually killed Kingpin. Like. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And, I mean, in the end, Foggy it was again, right? right? He was even, right, like. even from the, like, simple call, like, I just need to delay him. If I delay him long enough, he'll cool down and yeah. everything will be okay. Like, at that point, I was just like, ah, really? Mm. You know? <laughs> Uh, but if we can go back to Karen for a bit, one of my favorite scenes of this entire season mm. was when Karen sits down with Kingpin. That mm. it was a phenomenal, a phenomenal piece of and, acting. Yeah, that whispering into his oh, ear that my. she was the one that killed yeah, Wesley. Mm. I mean, that scene was breathtakingly good, mm. and yeah. I mean, like Vincent D'Onofrio is is a master at his craft. But I did not expect that from Karen. I know, I know. But like oh. Vincent also, like slowly his rage building up, so and good. suddenly him standing up, towering over her. I was like, she did. Yeah, yeah. I I totally <laughs> thought that that we would. That's why that's why Karen was all like pro team uh, kill kingpin. Hmm. Uh, she is uh, she has killed Wesley uh, yeah, shot him seven times. Uh, is very good friends with the Punisher. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I mean she's clearly like pro that. Pro vigilante. Uh, even Daredevil, even even though he was so adamant against the Punisher. Uh, early last season that he won't kill anyone he was pushed to the brink yeah. uh, so he could have easily been the new Punisher if he had gone down that route exactly uh, who's to say whether that would have made the city a safer place I don't know who knows I don't know <laughs> I don't know but uh, Daredevil's not that kind of guy yeah. he's not for now yeah uh, I guess before we move on from Daredevil uh, what do you guys think about um, Iron Fist and Luke Cage being cancelled so I actually just had a conversation with a friend of mine shout out Mark Dan uh and it is he is of the opinion that it's a setup, right? Mm, for heroes for hire and daughters of the dragon, mm. right? So basically, they've been posturing that for both in both uh, in both series, both Iron Fist yeah. and New Cage for a while now, uh, and with the whole idea. So it's either they're gonna pull it and they're gonna put it on um, Disney's uh, streaming service, streaming service, yeah, right? And which they call Disney Play, lah. Yeah. So Disney what again? Sorry, Disney Play. Disney Play. Disney, okay. Mm. Yeah. So everything's gonna be on that, right? Yeah. Apparently. <clears throat> um, but I, I think what strikes me the most uh, is the way that they worded the announcement of, of both of both cancellations cancellations back to back right uh, Iron Fist will continue uh, or oh, Iron, Iron Fist, Fist will, has, not, will, not will not be, be on Netflix yeah will not be on Netflix that was one mm-hmm. and then for Luke Cage it's like uh, Luke Cage will not be returning to Netflix yeah right so <clears throat> I think it 
kind of vague. I right? mean, from what I heard from the news is that there's a dispute between Netflix and Disney, right? About no, how many episodes were supposed to be made and all that sort of things. Uh, yes, that is one of it. All, clearly, all of this is um, hearsay. Um, so we can't actually be sure whether of it really is a dispute. Um, alternatively, uh, one of the narratives that has been put forth, and this is actually quite plausible, is that they are kind of Netflix is just doing this out of spite. Um, they see Disney as competition yeah. in the future, so they are not going to continue supporting shows that are not doing that well for them, yeah. and and continue perpetuating the the Marvel brand on a platform that is going to be uh, going head to head with yeah. Disney uh, yeah. next eventually, year. Eventually, yeah. eventually. Um, so that could be it, uh, or it could be just as as simple. As Iron Fist and Luke Cage not getting enough viewers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely for Iron But the problem why we will never know is because of the fact Netflix doesn't review review viewer numbers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Until now, we don't know what numbers Luke Cage, uh, Daredevil, really have. Punisher and Punisher, which is interesting because the way that Marvel has done it so far, right, is that they are looking at how much hype that it generates. The numbers on social media take the place of what traditional viewer ratings would be. Yes. Um, So, interestingly enough, Jessica Jones has already filmed season 3, so that's definitely happening, but Jessica Jones has not been renewed for For season season 4, and neither has Daredevil been renewed for season 3. 4. Sorry, season 4, correct. Um, So... Uh, I'm sure about the future of those two shows. The Punisher is currently filming, so at the very least, season two. One more yeah. Punisher, la. But here, that show has not been renewed for season three either, and they're very mum on that. Yeah. They could be on the verge of just cancelling all these shows, past whatever they have filmed. Yeah. Uh, which I think is plausible to me because, like, I don't think they want any Disney uh old stuff on their property mm, right now, yeah. and Disney would want to take it back as well. Of course, yeah. Uh, sure. so that's interesting. Um, I don't know where the future goes. I guess we we'll only see what happens next year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, with with Iron Fist in particular, I wasn't, you know, surprised at all. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I we enjoyed season two. You could you could listen back two episodes ago. We, we talked we, about how great improvement it was. Yes. Yeah, sure. uh, it was actually a positive review. Yeah. But at the same time, like uh, when they announced that it was cancelled, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I I get it, you know. Yeah, sure. And yeah. Luke Cage was the surprising one, like, considering it had uh, some hype behind it. Mm. And the second season also built on. I mean, it was an improvement also. Yeah, and a big was cliffhanger at the end and all that. So I was a bit disappointed in that. So I think um, they might want to continue this on on Disney. I hope so, like, I really yeah. hope so. Yeah. Uh, I I personally think it might not even it might be a confluence of factors, but I think is it really is just Iron Fist and Luke Cage not doing very well. Yeah, mm. I don't think that many people watched it. I think when the seasons came out, there wasn't really any buzz on any yeah, on my yeah, social media. Yeah, mm. it was especially. Uh, I, I don't see the usual geek websites, you know, doing like major reviews and stuff like that, or, or having discussions about location Iron Fist. I understand. Um, Netflix right now is actually in the middle of cleaning house. Yeah, they they, they, they cancelled Orange Is the New Black. They did. They cancelled uh, House of Cards, obviously. Long, yeah. Uh, they cancelled American Vandal. They did, after two seasons. Yeah, American Vandal was the major surprise, though, because that one still, I feel like, had buzz. Yeah. Uh, but clearly, they're operating more like a regular network now. Yeah. Rather than, like, back in the day when you just, like, you have an idea, we throw money at you. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I, think I mean, now they're trimming the fat. Yeah, I mean, there was a spate of firings recently as well yeah. uh, from, the, from the Netflix office. So, uh, I mean, they're right sizing, I guess. They're purging. Yeah, they're purging. Oh, yeah. Correct, la. But anyways, um, so we're still on Netflix actually at the moment. Yes, we are. Uh, from the Devil of Hell's Kitchen to the Haunting of Hill House. Mm. Uh, I believe the Haunting of Hill House is uh the greatest and most perfect horror series that I've ever seen. Uh, yeah. Mike Flanagan, who also directed the Fantastic Gerald's Game, which is also on Netflix, yeah. uh, has created a sophisticated and spooky slow burn while telling us some pretty emotional stories about the fractured family that inhabits Hill House. 
uh, try to imagine this is us this is us in a haunted, haunted house, house. <laughs> and you'll kind of get the series' character-driven nature. And flashback sequences. Flashback sequences, exactly. Like, um, beyond the ghosts, this show explores how we can be haunted in many other ways like grief, past mistakes, things unsaid, addiction, uh, regret, etc. Through uh, these kind of um, lyrical character studies uh, in the flashback sequences that would be compelling even without the scares. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you both have caught this as well? Yes. yes we uh, so I guess uh, going around the table here, we don't actually have a table uh, <laughs> going, going around, uh, what do you guys think of The Haunting of Hill House? Oh man, I, I think more than anything for me, they have a great ho horror element for sure, and the scares were solid stuff, but it was how tight the storytelling was, mm -hmm. right? On an emotional level, uh, how en engaged on an emotional level that I really, uh, really got to me. You know, uh, and after like, we've had quite a bit to review, um... Uh, yeah, with Halloween and all of that, mm. but I keep thinking about this this series, man. Me too. So yeah. I'm I'm actually um raring for the opportunity to watch it again because I feel like there are plenty of things that I must have missed as I were going along. Mm -hmm. Um, but oh, I mean, what else is there to say? I highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that the acting was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I thought the script was phenomenal, mm -hmm. and I um, I was just discussing uh, one of these uh things with one of our friends, right? And I always felt there was some something kind of like additional underlaying the really already phenomenal acting and this kind of like uncertainty yeah uh and just unease that the actors seem to emit in the scenes themselves and it was only after i i, I read um like the interview with uh, flanagan where he was talking about like how they intentionally put in a lot of things there were like um what was it? There was like a... There's actually an optical illusion in the wallpaper mm -hmm. that we don't get to see because we don't actually get to focus on, on the house's yeah, yeah. wallpaper for so long. But it affects the performances of the actors. Yeah, yeah, you know. And like he was just talking about... um, What was it? Like uh, being... Um, just following kind of the, the Hitchhockian kind of way of doing it, right? Yeah. With mm. the cold water and the bath or yeah. the scene cycle mm. and, and all of that. So And even basic stuff, like even, let's say for scares, right? Yeah. Um, the first episode is entitled Steve Sees a Ghost, right? So mm. you know he's going to see a ghost. Yeah. Um, that That is what Hitch, Hitchcock defines as the difference between surprise and suspense. Mm. What a lot of modern horror films do is surprise in terms of jump scares. Whether yep. you shift uh, into a loud sound or a jarring image, you know? That's mm -hmm. the jump scare. Um, suspense is what Hitchcock de describes as this. Mm. Let's say we are sitting here right now and there is a bomb under the table. Yeah. If we don't know what the bomb is and the bomb suddenly explodes, that is a surprise, surprise. that's yeah. a scare. Mm -hmm. But if you tell the audience that there, there is, is a, a bomb, bomb. And, but the characters don't know it, that is suspense. Yeah. Because we're waiting for it. That, that means that you can get 15 minutes of suspense rather than that 15 seconds of surprise. Yeah. And uh, this is something that The Haunting of Hill House does really, really mm. well in terms of crafting suspense. And it's something that is missing from a lot of horror these days. Yeah, yeah. That being said, some of the jump scares were so good too. Yeah. Exactly. Oh my god. Yes, thank uh, you. Episode 6. Uh, no, 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 it was towards the end as they were driving yeah. towards Hill House. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, the car, it's the car. Two characters were having an argument. It's episode 8. Uh, I won't spoil what it is, yeah. but it will get you too, lah, because. It got us all. It yeah, got us. I, I peed a little. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, true. Uh, you, you will do that. I think what Mac Plangan does so well is that it ties emotion and heartbreak in, and the trauma into the scares. Yes. Because it's the. It leaves you so emotionally vulnerable and so engaged in the particular emotion of the sequence or, or what the argument is or what the dialogue is or what the internal grief is that you are not bracing yourself for the change in tone, the change of pace, the change of uh, camera angles yeah. and, and music 
um, in other horror movies, you can you're always aware of that change and yeah. you're bracing yourself for the scares. Yeah. But this one, they distract you enough with the emotion that I'm always like suddenly shocked. Correct. Yeah. Right, uh, it, it's very good. And also, you know, the pain inside kind of elevates the pain outside yes. as well. So they tie in the trauma with the scares very, very well. Uh. It's dual timelines of the characters as adults uh, as children. and as children. It's so exclusively crafted. And I'm sorry to bring This Is Us into the storyline once yeah. again. Yeah. But I mean, This Is This Is Us season one. <laughs> it uh, is, in, it in, is. In, in the sense that it made me cry all the time. It did. Uh, in This Is Us, uh, you're wondering how this uh, wonderful family from the past, uh, this this really cute uh, you know children, uh, loving father and mother and stuff like that, how did they end up being like this dysfunctional adults? Dysfunctional adults, adults yeah. Uh, and in the case of This Is Us, it was Jack's death that is kind of the turning point. In this case, yeah. it is the mother's death during the haunting of Hill House. Like. Yeah. What's her name again? Amelia? Uh, I forgot what her name is. She's played by Carla Giugino, who's actually my Flanagan's wife. Like. That's yeah, why yeah, yeah. she has been on everything that my Flanagan has ever directed. <laughs> uh, so, The Haunting of Hill House really shows you how those traumas created the fucked up adults that you see today. La. I mean, ranging from Luke's uh, heroin addiction. Yes. Uh, had a beautiful episode in episode 4 about that as well. Yeah. To um, the sister being in a closet and everything. Mm, Theo, right? Yeah, yeah it's the name. Uh, so, a lot of great character development as well. Mm-hmm. I feel only one of the characters was unsympathetic. Um, no, not, not unsympathetic, la, but like, he came across as an asshole. It's uh, da- Dario Naharis. Steve. <laughs> Steve, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I-, I thought Steve was actually our point of, view, point of view character. At la. first, I was super into him because he, he has my point of view. I don't yeah. believe in ghosts, I mean, it is, etc. But then, like, uh, when you're exposed to an overwhelming amount of evidence, right? <laughs> How are you so, like, sceptical still? But because of the fact... This is like Gillian Anderson in the X-Files in season 8 still not yeah, believing yeah. in the supernatural. I'm like, oh my god, you've had 8 seasons. Correct, but to be fair to Steve, right. it was more of he felt for it, it was a mental illness kind of thing. Yeah. That it was a genetic uh, oh, disorder. Part, and the beauty of it is, part of it is mental illness. It, exactly. And that, it's like hereditary that way. Yes, some, yes. some of it is mental illness, some of it is some demonic, it is possession. demonic possession. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I like how this series was, um, it was scary at the beginning, really scary, yeah. right? But as it went on and on, you were less scared of the ghosts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- that's kind of the thing. Like for right. me, right, I was kind of dragged along by the story of it yeah, and the, the story characters was it, yeah. that I stopped focusing so much on the horror elements, which is why I think the scare in episode, is it eight? Six. Eight, yeah. yeah. Six or eight. Uh, six is the six is different, but the the cast cap. Oh, yeah. the cast cap is eight. eight. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So maybe I mean I was so involved. Because we were very removed from it. Really, exactly, right? exactly, and all of a sudden they just jumped that at you, and it was oh, so good. So yeah, and that's but that that scare was so perfect because of the fact that I was feeling the exact feelings of the ghost. <laughs> okay, you know uh, I, mean? I mean, can can you elaborate a bit on that, like? <laughs> no, because of the fact that. It was such an emotionally tense moment. Yeah. It was yeah. these two people arguing and arguing and arguing and... I, want to, I was screaming at the screen, just like, shut, shut up, up and listen to each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the ghost did. Yeah. Exactly. The ghost exactly. was like, shut up! And true enough, right? Right after that, they listened <laughs> they, to each other. Exactly, and they had a conversation. The ghost was the mediator. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, um, you're, you're right. There are just moments that made me sob, exploring some of like, the darkest moment of intimate emotional suffering that these characters had. Yeah. And when you're in cry mode or when you're in emotional mode, the frights come. It's the best time to do jump scares too, because like, you know, you're feeling so emotional. And it feels vulnerable. earned. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it does. It feels earned. But even on a technical level, right? And then we keep going back to this car, car, car scene. Mm. Just the immediate change mm-hmm, of yeah. that scare, right? We're just dropping off. Like yeah. of the music and like that, the camera change and all of that at the same time, right? Correct, it, was just like, it was overwhelming. 
yes. uh, in a way that I have not experienced for a jump scare in a long while. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are a couple of great, great twists in this particular episode, particularly in episode 5 when you find out who the bandnake lady is. Oh. It's, a, it's a really good mind-blowing twist. It's one of the great twists that... Uh, We're going to talk spoilers later, right? Uh, I guess we'll delve into minor spoiler territory okay. towards the end. Uh, that's the climax of episode 5, obviously. Yeah. Like, it, made me, uh, it made me cry. It was one of these tragic... Um, Hodor-like things. It was. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's kind. Of, I mean, that's a bit of a spoiler, but you you know what I mean, like if you see Game of Thrones, <laughs> and you watch this. It's, yeah. it's a bit of a Hodor-like thing. Anyway. Uh, yeah, that uh, that that was amazing. Like, um, episode six and its uh, many many one tra- one shot takes, oh, especially its uh, climax, the twenty three minute uh, tracking sequence that happens in real time. Ooh. On 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 a technical level, it was a marvel. Uh. Mm. And, and and no offense to like Daredevil's prison fight scene, but this one blew it out of the water. Yeah, for sure. Hands down. Yeah. Hands and down. just dialogue and character placement. Mm. So good. And what? So good. Like think, the behind yeah. the scenes, I mean you were sharing the behind the scenes video, right? Of yep. the entire thing. Yeah. It was just insane. And the like, transition from the funeral house to the hill house. Yeah. Oh, so good. It was so In good. one shot. Yeah, it was crazy. I, I mean like it's still I I actually rewatched that scene a number of times mm-hmm. uh, upon finishing it and it still blows my mind. Yeah, it's it's I think the highest point of the series in terms of dialogue, drama, and technicality, mm. and as well as suspense. Uh, yeah. Um, what what a technical achievement, la. Um, I I fully believe that episodes one to six is near perfect television in terms of drama and horror. It's a ten out of ten all the way. Mm-hmm. Um, the last six episodes when it transitions to a more traditional horror story, it falls off just slightly. Yeah. But it it's a nine out of ten for the next six. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, before we delve into spoiler territory, um, I would say that you know combining the ten out of ten and the nine out of ten, you know, this will be a nine 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 point five out of ten show for me. Yep, yeah. Same. It's same. a near perfect season. Nine point five for you as well. Same. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Oh uh, wait, how would you guys rate the other level as well? Oh, that level was about an eight and a half, I guess. You you rate it an eight? How about you? Uh, yeah, I'll I'll give it an eight. I'll give it an eight as well. Yeah. Uh, that level was a great show, as we I mean previously alluded to. But I think the Haunting of Hill House is a better show. It is for sure. Uh, whatever you're doing right now, uh, don't stop the podcast. But after you listen to the podcast, uh, whatever you're doing, um, stop it and go watch this show. Because I guarantee you, nothing else you watch will be as good as this. Yes. Confirm for this year. At least for genre. Yeah. yeah, confirm. It's 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 pretty amazing, la. It's also it, one of the best, uh, highest rated Netflix shows mm. of all time. Actually. It's a it's a very word of mouth thing because there wasn't heavy promotion on mm, it. Not at all. Uh, it reminded me a bit of Stranger Things season one in terms of its organic growth because uh, Stranger Things what in. In season two, it was promoted heavily because yeah. it was already a, popular. A, a popular thing, yeah. Yeah. But in season one, it was just word of mouth. Yeah, yeah, uh, fantastic stuff. Let's delve into spoiler territory. Minor spoilers. Um, three, two, minor one. I mean, uh, talk about whatever you want. <laughs> Nelly was a bad neck lady. Yeah, Nelly was a bad neck lady. <laughs> <laughs> so the fuck was that? <laughs> I, I, I think like one of the big revelations to the show is that a lot of the ghosts are uh, a bit of their own doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah in in a time loop sense. Yeah, yes. yeah. And that time loop thing just got me. I was like, shit, there's a time loop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was really actually very impressed by that. I mean, me generally, um, time paradoxes are problematic, right? Mm-hmm. In, in cinema in general. Mm-hmm. But I think it was neat enough. The way they treated it was neat enough for me not to care too much. Yeah, yeah. You know, about the entire thing. There was very little like loopholes lah. Yeah, the time paradox. I mean, it's nowhere near as tight as what was the other Germ- the German one they were talking about. Dark. Earlier. Yeah, it wasn't as like nearly as complex as Dark, for example. Yeah. But like, it was enough for me to say, okay, I can accept that. Yep. I can suspend 
my disbelief here and mm. like it's good like and, but, and it added so much value mm. to the revelation itself and it adds the tragedy of Nelly lah mm-hmm. mm. you know and how not Nelly the rapper <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well that too that too lah <laughs> <laughs> but Nell lah and how pivotal her character became lah mm. uh, throughout the entire series even though mm. she barely spoke she almost felt like a main character she did yeah yeah and how she directed the family lah mm. in the end I thought um specifically uh when we go back to the flashbacks I thought uh the the adult actors are very good but the children actors actually like uh surprised me in terms of like how good they were in expressing emotion yeah. a lot of yeah. the kids they couldn't have been more than like 10 seven. 7 yeah, yeah. they would be younger than 10 uh they they were already very accomplished little children yeah, I mean, and what's amazing about this particular show uh besides you know everything that we mentioned <laughs> is uh the casting of it because they all looked like a family did it they, they how did they find all the children all the adults and they all, all look similar yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah and not only that like the father yeah him and his him and his older self mm. they had a really uncanny resemblance right right, right? Yeah. yeah i i think like the first time uh, i saw that i was like wow are they like father and son in real life no, uh, they're, not. no, no, no. they're not right no, 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 no. they're holy shit that's really good yeah huh? it was very very impressive i think it was great casting uh, Mike Flanagan is a particularly prolific horror director as, as uh, once again I mentioned you should yeah. definitely catch Gerald's game but uh, all these actors have previously appeared in his previous movies slash TV shows mm-hmm. uh, yeah so um, Carl Gugino is the most obvious one but he has a- accumulated uh, a, a, a sizable roster of uh, brunette actresses <laughs> uh, that I think he drew upon for this particular casting <laughs> like all of you yeah all, all of you all of you you're going to be this are? All of them. Everyone from all of my old movies. <laughs> so let's bring them here. Yeah, uh, yeah um, I thought it was fantastic. Um, towards the end of the 23-minute tracking sequence, as you mentioned, and that isn't just the only sequence in the episode, I must mention. Uh, there are other shorter tracking sequences in the funeral house yeah. mm. uh, that tracks arguments and stuff like that. Mm. That is equally impressive. Yeah. Uh, that whole episode, is episode 6, is one of the best good. episodes of the year. Uh. But the, the, f- the last part of that particular episode, you know, because... Their dead sister, their dead younger sister was there mm. and they were just arguing over some petty bullshit. Yeah. Uh, and then it flashes back to the 23 minute sequence in the house, yeah. right? Yeah. And then they, they couldn't find Ellie because she, yeah. she disappeared, she was invisible. Uh, and then, you know, it, they, they juxtapose uh, the, a body literally turning over yeah. <laughs> uh, with uh, a young Nelly reappearing and saying, I was right here and you couldn't see me, you know. Oh, I, yeah. I think like that part like emotionally broke me a bit. It did, it yeah. Did. yeah. And she was just crying. I'm, I'm right here. You couldn't, you couldn't see me. And it was true. They really couldn't see her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I thought like that was the mini poignant encapsulation of what the 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 show is like in terms mm. of um, uh, exploring metaphors through horror. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also did a really good job on keeping to the red room, making oh. the red room this point of interest. Yeah. Mm. And then I realized because you all are not really Harry Potter fans. No. That the red room is actually the room of requirement. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, right. I, I know what it is. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I didn't encourage it. I was like, shit, that's the room of requirement right there. Because it changes every time Correct. someone's inside. So it's the game room for one of them. It's the dance studio for another one. Mm. You know, that kind of thing. And I was like, <laughs> Harry Potter right there. Or the, or the, the holodeck. The holodeck for, oh. yeah, in Star Trek. Or the, the danger the room. Danger or room. the danger room for right. X-Men, yeah. yeah. And it's also, I believe, quite intentionally uh, named. Uh, the, the The sound of his name is. It sounds like Red Rumble. Yeah. From uh, and there's a lot of um, Stephen King and The Shining uh, mm-hmm. references in this mm-hmm. as well. Um, I think uh, it's a it's a very great horror show. Probably the best I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, you have to check this out. Uh, this this is a really amazing show. Anything else you want to mention before we move on? 
it was not as scary as I thought it would be. It was scary. Okay, yeah, it but was I scary. loved the shit out of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I went in apprehensive yeah. at how scary it would possibly be. Mm. I don't think it reached that level. But thank God. But it was masterful. It was masterful. It was truly masterful. You're right, nine and a half. Nine and a half, yeah. Uh, Mike Flanagan will be uh, directing the sequel to The Shining next, uh, speaking of, uh, oh, called The Sleep. Sequel? Uh, yes, I mean, it's based on a book Stephen one. King's own sequel book, uh, called The Sleep. Oh, okay, I've never read it. Uh, yes, uh, so, I mean, I think that he is a perfect director for that movie, and I think this was a 10-minute show reel to oh. show Stephen King, like, uh, you, hey, should. <laughs> yeah, you should give me a book. Can I, just, can I ask whether give... the book was good? I have not read it. I have not read the book either. Oh, I've okay. only read the original Shining, okay. which uh, Stephen King did not like Stanley Kubrick's interpretation of. Yeah. And I think he trusts Mike playing it a bit more okay. with the material. Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Uh, does anybody know who Daryl Naharis' na- real name is? No, I'm... Yes, uh, Michael Husman. Ah, yeah. Because, I mean, I, I call him Dario in literally everything. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. That's why I just talked to my person. I was like, hey, Dario is like fucking annoying. <laughs> uh. Yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't uh, look as good without his beard. And I'm, I, I kept telling them, I kept telling my friend, uh, Alison, I kept saying, uh, why is Dario not at, you know, at Marine? Like, that's where the Queen left him. <laughs> he lost his beard and he got he shaved. Oh, boy. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, uh, so definitely check out The Haunting of Hill House. And then after that, go watch Daredevil. Daredevil. Uh, two great Netflix shows. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think uh, our love Wang Fest for Netflix has to put be put on hold for, for a whole? while. Yeah. Because, you know, there are other shows out there <laughs> that is not on this prolific But we're going to go back to Netflix in a bit. Yeah, oh, man. <laughs> so, I, I, I almost scheduled this rundown as like the like six Netflix shows in a row then I'm like no let's break it up let's break yeah. it up go ahead, go ahead, too go much ahead. Netflix so. uh, let's move on to uh, an anime that we actually really really adore called uh, My Hero Academia My Hero Academia it's on Netflix too it's also, <laughs> technically yeah. technically it's on Netflix um but not really like Yeah, not all of it. Anyway. Not not in Singapore at least. Yeah. Uh now finished with its third season, My Hero Academia remains one of the most consistently exciting and compelling animes on offer from Japan. Yes. Uh this season's arc once again follows class one A of UA high school as they repel the League of Villains even as they compete against each other in rigorous training. Yeah. Uh the whole season I found the whole season to be mostly enjoyable and really fun, even if it doesn't quite reach the heights of season two. Yeah. Um Aisa has caught up with this, has, uh, have you? Halfway only. Halfway, okay. So, um, Aisa, what do you think of season 3 as a whole? Um, I mean, I definitely agree with you, right? Season 2 was kind of like a masterclass as far as like shonen anime goes, mm. right? Uh, all the right steps, all the right uh, growth arcs, right? All the right power leveling, yeah. and everything as well. Uh, high stakes, uh, very invested in all the characters, which is a very large cast, which you can't really say for a lot of animes these days. Mm. You know, as much as you love uh, Deku and what he's doing, uh, mm. Midoriya, um, like you are invested in how the entire class does and I think that's quite rare yeah. I don't think I've been that invested with such a large um, class of characters yeah. since maybe Assassination Classroom yeah you know um, another classroom uh, yeah another, another classroom, classroom. Thing. Yes. Uh, also a great anime but uh, I feel like season 3 what really caught me for season 3 was just the first episode I was blown away by how tight that recap was, mm. uh, you know, it was like a, just a 15 minute recap for them to cover two seasons worth of material in a kind of like a filler episode way. And that's for previously me. Previously on. Uh. Yeah, previously on. And it set the tone for everything else, right? Um, I think mostly this season, although the pacing wasn't as good mm. uh, this time around because I felt they were stretching the arc across. Too long. And, too I, long. and I feel like some of the, it, 
it's to your point in, in terms of pacing like the way they um um segmented the arcs were it was a bit awkward yeah uh and towards the end like i felt like the last couple of episodes had nothing to say yeah uh it was problematic especially with the whole provisional licensing exam yeah, yeah. i thought they took too many episodes to tell what they needed to tell mm. a lot of the characters that are introduced there do become important later on mm. like as they grow up uh but it felt mistimed yeah uh and there wasn't in as much growth as I would have liked. The flow was off like the season slightly yeah, the flow was sure. off. Uh that being said there were a couple of like great um fight sequences as oh, we always see. Um, I mean uh spoiler alert a bit uh All Might has uh, a showdown with um uh, all for one. All for one. Uh, and it was it was a great fight sequence, man. One of the more uh, OP battles I've seen on screen. This was yeah. at the beginning, right? Uh, this is the climax of the first arc. I yeah, the one so after the jungle, right? It's about yeah. a quarter way through. Uh, yeah, after after Bakugo is kidnapped, yeah, and then uh, Bakugo is uh Rescue. basically kind of recruited into the League of Villains, but he rejects them. Yeah, uh, that, and was, then, that was a great uh, character development right there. Fantastic, right? Yeah, Bakugo. so so good because like I quite like Bakugo has always kind of been like midway, right? And you always felt that he was going to be a villain. Yeah, yeah. at some point in time, you he was always going to be the the antagonist to me, uh, to Deku, to Deku, yeah, right? Future, and that would have been like the heel turn would have been expected. But I, I think it's too early to pull off the Hilton. That is true. Yeah. That is true. But I mean, just the way that they set it up, bringing that so much earlier into yeah. the story and just like setting it up that way and giving him an opportunity to shine. Because mm. um, season one and two, he doesn't really have that much depth. Like we get a lot more depth from like Todoroki mm. uh, and definitely of course like Midoriya. But this was kind of the first time I was seeing like really what Bakugo is made of. Mm. And that kind of pays off in his confrontation of Deku and the fight that they have. Another great fight scene. Mm. Uh, much later on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I do have to mention, although Deku lost that fight, yeah. uh, he is still only at 5% power. Yeah. Uh, we do know from the flash forwards, this is a flashback show, yeah. that uh, he does eventually learn how to use it at 100%. At 100, yes. uh, he seems to be unstoppable at that point. Yeah. And I think uh, the Deku fight, uh, whenever it does happen, and the Deku Hilton, has to be the end game of the show. Wait, yeah. Deku Hilton? Uh, I'm sorry, um, Bakugo's Bakugo Hilton. Hilton. Yeah. Yeah. Bakugo's Hilton, I feel, has to be the end point of the show it, it is the, that is the final battle it has to be yeah I mean it's telegraphed too neatly for that yeah. and I think that they are probably going to um, oh, I, I'm projecting here but I, I think it will probably be along the lines of um, the hero killer <coughs> the whole Same. idea of yeah, yeah. The, the whole idea of the hero killer right like does this world really need heroes mm. right uh, and uh, are, the, are these people who call themselves heroes truly heroic you know, and those ideas will eventually come to fruition, mm-hmm. and the logical end would definitely be some sort of face-off. Whether or not he's actually a villain, mm-hmm. villain or a sort of anti-hero character, because um, I think over the last three seasons, a lot of the there's been a lot of nuance in terms of it's not as clear cut that the villains are villains and the heroes are heroes, right? It starts mean, off yeah. feeling that way. Yeah. Uh, I have a feeling that things are going to get a lot more complex. I mean, it feels a bit like maybe One Punch Man. Yeah. And the whole hero association kind yeah. of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. So you Where do we do see some of some that, of right? that like, yeah. Especially. Um so yeah, I do agree. I do think that that's the logical climax of the entire mm. um show. The show. Or manga. Uh, yeah. yeah. And um I'm really interested to see how they do it. How would you rate uh, season three as a whole? Season three, I'm gonna give it an eight. Right, uh, I'll rate it at 7.5. Still highly recommended, but not quite the heights of Season 2, la, yeah, as I mentioned. Sure. Uh, next up, we'll be talking about My Hero Academia 2 Heroes, which is the one-off movie spin-off 
from My Hero Academia. Obviously, la, it was released in Singapore recently thanks to Odex uh, distributors. They they actually bring in a ton of great enemy into Singapore, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. kudos to them. It's being shown right now at Golden Village Cinemas, so do get your tickets if you have not uh, seen it yet. La. Yeah. I know the particular screening that I went to was jam-packed full of uh, otaku weirdos. Uh, no offense to y'all. <laughs> But y'all were loud, man. It was like it was like one of those like uh, convention kind of screenings where people were shouting and screaming. It was fun, lah. Uh, it was it was it was great to watch. So it it elevated the mood and the atmosphere of the movie. So how do you think the movie went? Uh, the movie objectively, just the movie itself it was just okay. Uh, taking place somewhere between season two and three. Uh, two heroes takes place during Deku's summer vacation when All Might takes his protege to something called Eye Island, which is a man-made island that serves as a massive quirk research facility and support item development center. Uh, since only invited guests are on the island, everyone is allowed to use their quirks freely, so mm. that's nice to see. Mm. Uh, which made for a bunch of interesting visuals and their new hero designs early on in the movie that uh, that really caught my eye. Uh, then things go awry, uh, die-hard style, when the entire island is taken hostage by villains, yeah. leaving, it up, leaving it up to the yeah. UA students yeah. to to save the day, obviously. Um, this movie is actually incredibly fun, uh, with a lot of great action that's elevated by superior animation to the series. They clearly had more money on this. Yeah. Uh, I especially enjoyed All, Ma- All Might's flashbacks mm. to his time as a hero in Los Angeles, indulging in some Western-style or MCU-style superheroics. Uh, that being said, the movie obviously lacks stakes since uh, we know they'll all be fine in the end. Uh, and it doesn't build upon the, the world of My Hero Academia as much outside of showing off some neat new gadgets. Uh, it's also a little bogged down by having the burden of reintroducing My Hero Academia basics to newbies yeah. who have not seen the show. So uh, it takes up a bunch of screen time that's unnecessary. Uh, and its villain isn't all that interesting. Uh, but there is a great twist of the villain at the end. Uh, nevertheless, this is an enjoyable one-shot side story that's uh, worth a 90-minute investment, I would say. This is a 7 out of 10. If you have nothing to do and you're a fan of My Hero Academia... Go for it. Go for it. Yeah. Definitely, definitely go for it. La. Uh, we're sticking with enemy. Yes, yes. we're going back to Netflix. Oh, I know this one. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> we're doing Castlevania, aren't we? Uh, yes. The second season of Castlevania is mm, here. Yes. Uh, written by one of my favorite comic book writers, Warren Ellis. Uh, Netflix's adaptation of the popular Konami uh, video game franchise yes. is back. Uh, I think Castlevania is still the gold standard for video game adaptations, but season two is a vastly different type of show. Yes. Uh, so let's discuss this. What do you guys think of Castlevania? Oh. Well. Castlevania. Wow. wow. Okay. Uh, I think it built really well, right, from season one. Yes, I I, I do feel that it flowed very, very well. Yeah. Given that season one was supposed to function as sort of a pilot, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they did that very well. I still think season one should have been just one episode. Like, like movie. Movie. Like, or movie. Like a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it would have been a lot better. Correct. Uh, I think the starting of season two kind of caught me off guard mm. with the pacing. Oh. I wasn't expecting it to be that slow. Uh huh. Uh, but I did thoroughly enjoy it. I thought that they took the time to tell stories that I was not expecting, number one. Mm-hmm. And number two, uh, didn't think was necessary. But then it became very it became, necessary. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. Um, um, what else can we say? I mean, well, like, the political drama is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Right? What, what the vampire do, court. Yeah, what yeah. Do the, does the vampire high court? And Dracula and his generals actually talk about. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating. Well, uh, for me, because I, before season two, before I started watching season two, I quickly watched season one again because yep. it was only four episodes. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so when season two started and I watched the first episode, it was actually 
I was enjoying the slower pace mm. because season one was a quick, yeah, you know, it really, straight really to the point, away, yeah. right? Elucard gets weaker now. Elucard starts killing things and all that, and then yeah. and that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was a good change of pace when when season two started, mm-hmm. and I got to know the characters that I just saw. Yeah, you know, in in more detail, uh, uh, Trevor, you know, and his drunkenness and yeah. why he's so drunk all yeah, the time. This huge bird, he's this chip on the show. Yeah, 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 why, yeah, why, why is there? Um, even um. The speaker, what's her name? Uh, Cipher. Cipher. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, her story was cool, but overall, you're right. The vampire court, the whole, um, the whole um, conflict within that court yes. was what was intriguing throughout the it season. Was, it mm-hmm. was. Really uh, the animation style was great. Mm. The storytelling was great. The action sequences were dope. Dope. Yeah. 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 Still awesomely gory and brutal. Just and they, they steal the show. Once yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and you know. At the end of the season, you know, how everything tied up to the end, right? Mm. With no spoilers, but I felt there was such a good conclusion to the entire season. Yes, yes, I agree. I definitely, definitely, like the way it was telegraphed, there was a lot of tension in that. We knew some people had to die. For sure. You know? Right? Uh, I didn't expect some of the people who died to die. (laughs) uh, Or or who they were killed by, for that matter. Um, but again, it's suspense, right? It is. You know that this has to come to a conclusion. It's Why are we just talking about this in in this castle? Yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, and so I, on on the one hand, I did want it to move forward, but past episode two, I was just like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna Let's just enjoy kinda, this, uh. like enjoy this for a while because like all the the uh, the scheming yeah. and the plotting yeah. was really very. They were, they were Game of Thrones in it, mm. Exactly. Uh, yes. In terms of you know plot and motivation, and then the World second building. and then second to last episode is when <laughs> shit hits the fan. Yeah, it was a, so well deserved. Oh, yeah. uh, I I do agree. I mean, like season one was this gloriously shot burst of violence and vengeance yeah. uh, and it's all about the evils of you know bigoted human religious fundamentalists and the bloody, bloody righteous fury of Dracula right mm-hmm. but this season like, like you said it's lengthier it's more measured it's an ensemble piece that kind of spends time fleshing out these characters like uh, outside of the political intrigue in Dracula's court, um, one of the most, the two most compelling characters, I feel at least in my opinion, uh, is actually Dracula's two human necromancers. Yes. Uh, Forge, Forge masters, as they're called. Forge masters. Who themselves have um, like very valid reasons to despise humanity's yeah. uh, close-minded pettiness, uh, cruel bigotry, and other selfish impulses that they have. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, meanwhile, humanity's best hope for survival, you know, this mismatched band of heroes. <laughs> um... They do spend an inordinate amount of time in a library researching. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just <laughs> kind, of, kind of treating witty banter, mm. um, which can drag, uh, although their playful dynamic sometimes sparkles and pays off with some meaty character development mm, uh, yes. and kind of pays off with an emotional climax. La. So it's a mixed bag, I feel, this season in terms of the character development. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Mm. I, I think. I the, mean, the focus on the vampires. La. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I do feel like I wanted a bit more backstory, right? Like, we only really get to see Camilla and uh, God, Godford. Uh, is, is no, God, Godbrand. Brand. Godbrand. Yeah, the, the Viking vampire. Who's Godford? Oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> God <laughs> yeah so Godbrand, Isaac, and Hector. Uh, and Camilla are the only ones that we really kind of get yeah, to, yeah. get a look at. The rest of them are just kind of like, you know, show pieces yeah. uh, for the rest of them. But yeah. given um, that in season one, we get to see Alucard, Trevor and Cypher a lot more, uh, I kind of understand that because like what happens in the vampire world 
has been completely closed off to us up to Correct. up to this point. But even then, we still had a bit of travel. We still had a bit of cipher. We still had a bit of. And it was cut. enough. Enough, yeah. You know, for the story itself. Mm. Mm. I do feel like the main characters of season one, the three that you mentioned, plus Dracula, were inactive this season. Uh, they just spend a lot of time sitting down, reading, brooding. Oh, Dracula was brooding a lot, lah. Just being indecisive, lah. Yeah, yeah. Just sitting down. You know, just like uh, everyone was like, snap out of it, lah. Come on, lah. But they realized he can't snap out. Of it. No, of course, lah. Of course, yeah. lah. He he was almost on a suicide mission. He was. Uh, how would you rate this uh, second season of uh, Castlevania? I'll give it a seven. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm close to that actually. I'm gonna give it a seven point five. Mm. I think if I were to nitpick on like a lot of things, is that there at times the voice acting does fail it. Mm. Oh okay. Uh, I like generally. I thought the script was good for what it is, right? But there were times when I don't think emotion was conveyed very well, mm. uh, or like even some of the jokes didn't pass off very very well mm-hmm. because of the voice acting. Some of it was weird. Okay. I did feel that Cypher's accent was extremely distracting. Russian accent, is it? Yeah, and it more and a lot more so than in season one where she barely actually talks. Right. Mm. Uh, I do feel like um, who voices Trevor. Uh, Richard Armitage. Yeah. yeah. So, Who's that guy? He is, uh, he's uh, quite so a notable character actor. He actually recently uh, was the star of one of my favourite uh, podcasts that yeah. I actually reviewed on genre equality called uh, Wolverine the Long Night. Yeah. He did, he did uh, Logan. Uh, Logan. Yeah. So he was really, really good in that. But I think this one, he wasn't as good. Yeah, it, it just felt a bit off at times. Like the delivery and I don't know if it was maybe like a mismatch of the animation itself and the delivery of the voice acting. Mm. Like at moments, it was awkward. Uh, you know, so I, I'm not sure, um, that was just one of the things that, like, always popped up every once in a while, and, and I'm going to give it a bit of a lower score because of that. Right, uh, yeah, I'm rating it at 7.5 as well. Uh, I'm but, the lowest, but wow. Uh, but 7, 7.5, and 7.5 aren't actually low scores. Yeah, they are, they are positive Still recommended. with minor complaints. Yeah, minor uh, complaints. so definitely worth your time considering it's only 8 to 9 episodes of 20 minutes. Yeah. So, uh, low time investment. Okay, I finally figured out who is Amitage. Now I know, I know who he is. He's Thorin Oakenshield from The Hobbit. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's, he's got a famous character. That's why, like, the, the voice was so familiar. Mm. Mm. Correct. Um, also, on another note, right, on mm. video game adaptations, mm. why Castlevania kind of works, right? Because the video game kind of sucks, though. Yeah, I mean, like, it's just, it's, it's a canvas that, for the It's a canvas that right? you can do anything you want. Borrowing mm-hmm. a very poorly fleshed out world. Poorly fleshed out world, poorly yeah. Poorly fleshed out right. characters and, like, turning it into... However, with very significant, like, lore already built in with Dracula, yeah. you know, and all that stuff. Yeah. Van Helsing and all that, where you can actually play around with that, lah. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, I felt that that's why this kind of works more than, like, Assassin's Creed. You know, Ooh, has law heavy already, yeah. Yeah. or even um, what's the other Mortal Kombat, for example, <laughs> right? Because of the fact Tomb that Tomb, oh yes, Tomb Raider, exactly. Street Fighter, correct, all yeah. those lah, you know, yeah. 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 So that's sure, why I feel sure. this this uh, property is more malleable la. Yeah, yeah. Still wouldn't go back to play the game though. Oh no, 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 it yeah. sucks. I don't like it. Yeah, me neither. Uh, okay, we're gonna take a break from television uh, because there are some things on the big screen uh, mm-hmm. outside of my hero academia. <laughs> uh, first thing I'm gonna be talking about solo because I think I'm the only one that's seen this, and this yeah. is not part of quick hits because this is a lengthier review. Yeah. Uh, and also a more important topic. This is Halloween. Uh, oh, we we are we are since we are covering like you know post Halloween fair. We must talk about Halloween. Yes. It, Tell us about it. Yeah, uh, Halloween actually broke bank at the box office, man. They nice, cleverly really? released it on Halloween. Yeah. So, I mean... Well... Yeah. Uh, this is the one of the few uh, movies that actually increased in the second weekend of box office. Wow. It was... The, the first weekend was released the weekend before Halloween. Yeah. Uh, and people were slightly disappointed by its doing. Uh, it only made about 80 million. 
and people were like, uh, that's actually very good. It's the highest that Halloween has ever rated, like, but yeah. I expected more. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, second weekend on Halloween weekend itself, like, like they were very smart about this. Yeah, like. yeah, they were okay. very smart about uh, the release schedule. But what, what about the movie itself? Mm. Um, John Carpenter and new director David Gordon Green have wisely erased all of those other subpar Halloween sequels from canon to deliver the one true continuation with this 2018 update. Uh, this is a direct sequel and all those other movies are only referenced in terms of urban legends that kids tell each other. Clever. So for example, one of the sequels is revealed that Michael Myers is actually Laurie Strode's brother. Uh, a bit stupid lah. Uh, and that is mentioned in conversation and quickly dismissed as fake news. Yeah. Uh, so, um, Clever. Yeah, I know. So um, between Halloween 2 to Halloween H2O, nothing happened. Thank God. Now, they, they, yeah, it's yeah. not part of the timeline. They've reset it. This is, this is set... On the 40th anniversary of the 1978 classic, because in real life it is the 40th anniversary of the 1978 classic, and we find a traumatized but combat-ready Laurie Strode gets set for one final confrontation with uh, the asylum escapee, Michael mm-hmm. Myers. Uh, this is an entertaining and self-aware film that is the Terminator, Terminator 2 of slasher flicks. I was just going to ask that, actually. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it serves as a tribute and an evolution of the, of the franchise with clever callbacks, gorier kills, more complex and grittier characterization and rousing vengeance. Uh, this Laurie Strode is like Sarah Connor in Terminator 2. Uh, she's viewed as paranoid, uh, but she's really the only one prepared to face the impending doom that's to come. Uh, no one believes her, her family thinks she's crazy, but you know, goddamn, do they need her when shit hits the fan? Like. Yeah. Uh, this is a bit of um, like the slashes up version of the Me Too era with a strong feminist slant, while also being just a great straight up slasher. Um, cinematically, is very cleverly shot with uh, great use of wide angles for a corner of your eyes scares. Um, that being said, the seminality and minimalism of the original means that it can never be surpassed. Yeah. Uh, but this is seriously top shelf slasher stuff and several levels above all of those other Halloween sequels. <laughs> um, one thing that this movie definitely has a leg up on on the original is the laugh factor. There are a lot of several laugh out loud moments and in terms of humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep in mind that this is written and directed by Danny McBride and David Gordon Green, who are the team behind uh, Pineapple Express. Uh, so who would have thought that you know one of my favorite horror movies of the year would be behind uh, will be made by the team behind Pineapple Express? It's uh, uncanny, but they, they seem to have gotten down uh, all the tropes, how to subvert the tropes. Uh, and stuff like that. Was like. Danny McBride in, in the film? He was not in he the film. Not, right? oh. But there were several character proxies of Danny McBride oh, nice. who sounded like Danny McBride. Okay. <laughs> and they almost made fun of Danny McBride because, you know, uh, these annoying characters that sound like Danny McBride get killed in horribly gruesome <laughs> ways. Because to be fair, Danny McBride is a very underrated comedy actor. Yeah. yeah I find he's hilarious. He I do is. find that he's hilarious yeah. as well. Uh, this, this is great. And some of the callbacks, right, is... It's, it's pretty amazing. Mm. Uh, the, the climax of the original Halloween, I don't know if people remember or are too young, uh, some of our listeners, the, the climax of the original Halloween is uh, Laurie actually stabs Michael Myers on the balcony of their house yeah. and Michael Myers falls off the balcony into a grass patch yeah. and then uh, Laurie turns away and then she looks back and this iconic shot of an empty grass patch with no Michael Myers. Uh, a similar confrontation happens on the same balcony. This time it is Michael Myers stabbing Laurie's throat. She falls off the balcony, uh, Michael Myers turns away, then turns back to check on Laurie's throat, and then she disappears. Oh my god. And then, you know, Michael Myers is like, oh my god, where'd she go? <laughs> and the hunter becomes a hunter. hunter. Yeah, that kind of thing. Like. So it's, you know, the tables are, <laughs> tables are turned on him slightly in this one. Like. This is an 8 out of 10 for me. Definitely, definitely check it out. I'm definitely going to catch it. 
uh, top tier. Uh, there, there are some better horror movies out this year, like Hereditary and A Quiet Place and stuff like that. Uh, but in terms of slasher, which is a very specific mm, genre, yes. uh, Halloween is the best this year and might be the best I've seen in the last 10 to 20 years. Damn. Uh, the slasher genre hasn't quite recovered from what Scream did to it. Yeah. I mean, the, the Scream 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Uh. Uh, yeah. I uh, don't know how many there are. That was yeah, just a ton. Yeah. But um, they forced uh, slasher movies to be, to play the meta game. Uh. Yeah. And I think we're far enough removed from Scream to have a, a normal, proper... Uh, slasher, slasher film, film la, that just plays it straight uh, they do have some wink wink I know what, what is happening what the tropes are moments but you know they don't play too much into that uh, so definitely check that out this is available on wide release it's an 8 out of 10 uh, next up we're going back to streaming but not Netflix Amazon Prime got, got, got to show the competition the competition no, no, there's Hulu we talked about Henry Steel yeah, yeah, Amazon Prime has their own sci-fi show called The Man in High Castle and goddamn. yeah um, after a two year hiatus long as time man uh, the longer man, than like Game of Thrones man yeah, yeah, it yeah. is. Two years, yeah. Uh, the mine, man, man in high hustle is uh, mine. The mine in high hustle. Uh, based on a different the show. Dick book, right? Yeah, the mine comes in high hustle. <laughs> the man in high hustle is finally back for season three on Amazon Prime. For those of you who don't know, the show is based on the eponymous uh, nineteen sixty two novel by Philip K. Dick mm-hmm. that depicts an alternate dystopian history, imagining a world where the Axis powers won World War Two. Yeah. Particularly, it focuses on America, which is now divided into two regions. On the East Coast is ruled by the Nazi Reich and on the West Coast, West Coast is ruled by the Japanese Imperial Army. Now, um, the show has always appealed to the hi- alternate history man in yes. me, I guess. Uh, not because I like fascism or anything, la, no, no, uh, no, no, but no. because I like imagining the logistics, politics and dynamics of reality like this. Same. It's fascinating. The la. world building was... Mm. Yeah. I-, I enjoy its strong nuanced characters and I must say they do a good job of finding the humanity in everybody. Even, even the, Nazis. Even the Nazis and the Japanese villains. La, quote unquote villains. La. Uh, and of course, I am a sucker for political, political drama. Same. Uh, this season's political intrigue is even complemented by newfound sci-fi elements because the, multivo- the multiverse has been discovered and becomes a prominent feature. They actually use that word, multiverse. Yeah, do you, yeah like fucking like Crisis on Infinite Exactly. Earth, yeah. <laughs> like, like the Flash, you know. Exactly. Uh, maybe this is the Earth that, you know, the evil Flash and Arrow yeah. come from. Uh, it's a fascinating new narrative wrinkle that adds some spice to the usual political machinations mm-hmm. and spy intrigue. Uh, what do you think of this particular season? Uh, okay, first off, again, great, great, great um, CGI. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Okay. The, in terms of like entire cities. Entire and, cities and yeah. all that, right? But such a beautifully... I, I, again, I'm not a supporter of the Nazis. I'm not a supporter of any fascism. But it's interesting. But now. it's interesting how everything is well designed, how the... The politics, architecture, politics, yeah, how the politics influenced the architecture, yeah. and how American sixties would actually look. Uh, you that was a good reimagining of what American cities will look like in the third Reich, lah. Mm. Whew, that's it. This is the third time that you've seen it, mm. and true to form, uh, all the characters were well developed. You had uh, John Smith, right? Yeah. Who became even more powerful because of his rank? Obus Obus Gupenfuhrer. Obus Gupenfuhrer. Yeah. Yeah. Obus. Yeah. Anyway. Him and his his story was what really intrigued me this this season. He is a compelling protagonist in a gangster kind of way. In a way. Yeah. Uh, because you get where he's coming from, especially with uh, his own party eugenics policy leading to the execution of his own of son. His own son, yeah. Um, similarly, Tagomi on the other side of the aisle, the Japanese side is really likable too because he's honourable, level-headed. Uh, and, and even the guy that we despise, Kido. 
yeah, yeah. He became even sympathetic at the end. head of the camp time. Yeah. Uh, it's also interesting because of his internal conflict and that court yeah. of honor like, that is so famous among Japanese like. And yeah, and I like that there was development over like how Kido, for example, mm. how he be at, by that by by the seasons end, you realize he realizes that he has become too American, mm. you know, and he has this inner conflict how. His Japanese honor was tainted. Yeah. And, you know, him finding for uh, Fring, Frank Fring. Frank Fring, yeah. Yeah. And his, you know, the, and how it culminate, culminates at the end. Mm. It was such a well-laid journey. Yeah. Um, I agree. Yeah, so everything from John Smith to Kido to even the, the resistance. All I can say is that the resistance are the lousiest spies in the world. But they're not spies. But they're not spies, correct? They're, they're amateur fighters. They're really, they have no spycraft at all. They get caught all the time. But it, I, I guess... I'm it su- just surprised that they're still alive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess it... But I, I, do, I do have to say that it kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, it they, does, it they have no training. They correct. don't know how to go about doing There was this. no, like, cold war for them to hone their skills. Yeah, you know, like, the, the, the major, like, leader of the resistance uh, in season one and two, he was just, like, you know, hiding in sand in a truck. Yeah. Remember that time he, the the Kampetai just like started stabbing the stabbing sand. Stabbing the sand. Yeah. <laughs> and then he, he went like ow. Ow. <laughs> that, that made me laugh. I mean, yeah. You should not be the leader of resistance. But over. because we've watched things like the Americans, we've yeah. watched things like Counterpart mm. where you have like this excellent spycraft kind yeah. of thing mm. and like you just kept looking at the resistance like fucking amateurs. <laughs> yeah, if, you, if you're watching this for the spycraft this is not this the is show. This is not the show. It, but in terms of alternative history political this, intrigue in and, yeah. history yeah, yeah. This is great. Uh, and really how well this was written this season. Mm. This, I felt, was the best season mm. so far. Mm, yeah. Mm. Um, speaking of political intrigue, I like some of the new characters they, they introduced. I love the addition of William Forsyth as yes. J. Edgar Hoover. Yes. Uh, it makes sense that a guy that slimy and schemy would be a law enforcement official in any reality uh, yeah. that he's in. <laughs> and uh, he's damn good at his job as usual. Uh. Yeah. Uh, and then you have other elements like uh, now you have the, the anti-Nazi Banksy. Uh, then you yes. have uh, Irish Han Solo. Is the only way I can describe. Irish Han Solo, that's a good one. Uh, then you also have the the advertising department in charge of propaganda, basically Nazi McMahon. Nazi McMahon. Yeah. Uh, so uh, interesting and similar right? characters. Uh, but that being said, the show can kind of drag sometimes, especially in its first quarter. Mm. Uh, it's the great production value and sophisticated characterization. Keeps you in it, uh. Yeah, that that gets me through some of the duller parts of the season. Uh-huh. Perhaps because the novelty of the world has worn off, and it's nowhere near as deep or harrowing or profound as something that Handmaid still is, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't enjoy the season as much as maybe Hardy did. I did. But it's still a pretty riveting show uh, in terms of plots, even if it doesn't take time to explore the moral and f- philosophical issues as deeply. Uh, mm-hmm. Some ideas are touched upon, whether they be eugenics, yep. or showing how the victors get to decide which atrocities to highlight. Like, for example, the Japanese-American internment camps. Became the Holocaust. Like. Became the Holocaust. Uh, and pointing out the slavery or, of, of uh, native, uh, African-Americans, the genocide of Native Americans, mm-hmm. uh, or the imagery of Nazi youths marching in the street, chanting blood and soil, you know, like, like Charlottesville. Which, yeah, which was so poignant and so, like... Uh, On point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, so there are, like, bright moments like that, but uh, it's not too often fleshed out. Uh, so because of that, I'm rating this a 7 out of 10, which is still a recommendation for uh, me. It's an 8 and a half for me. La. Hadi, Hadi, yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed this season. Loves it a bit more than I do. Yeah, I mean, 
But I think we both would recommend it. Yeah, it's a high recommend. Uh, yeah, and if the the best part is right, you don't actually need to watch the first two seasons because Amazon Prime on your YouTube channel has actually released a thirty minute recap oh, yeah, of yeah, yeah, seasons yeah, yeah. one and two. So just watch the thirty minute recap, which actually functions like that first episode of My Hero Academia that yeah, we talked yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it fills you in on all the character dynamics, what's mm. happened, the premise, and all of that. It really helped because two years is a long time. It is, man. Yeah. It's not like uh. I mean, you mentioned Game of Thrones, which frequently has two-year breaks or one-and-a-half-year breaks. The difference is that I spend a lot of time thinking about Game of Thrones. Rather than, yeah, you don't think of men in the high castle. <laughs> yeah, like, like you, you know, like, like nights when I'm, like, sleepless and turning around, I'm thinking about, you know, oh, shit, what's next season going to be? And yeah, but you know already what? Uh, let's not talk about that. <laughs> Both me and Hidzay know. Have been spoiled for season 8. Uh, I mean, can't confirm that it's official spoilers. It's going to be. But it... it I mean, you saw the video, right? Yeah, I did. It, the, the way the storytelling unfolded, it seemed so legit. It did. Uh, so I think we are most probably spoiled for season 8. But it's okay. Uh, but it's okay. Uh, we won't spoil it for you. We won't spoil it for you. Yep. Uh, let's move on. Let's move before we... Another put, Netflix show? Yeah, yeah. Before we put uh, too much uh, information out there. Yeah. Like people <laughs> uh, yeah, we're moving on back to Netflix. This Yay. time we're talking about uh, Hormone Monsters. Uh, Big Mouth. The second season of Big Mouth. Uh, Netflix's gross out animated comedy about Hormone Monsters and the horrors of puberty is back for another whiff of, uh, I guess, preteen spirit. Mm. Uh, Big Mouth season 2 isn't just filthier and funnier also does a great job of helping kids navigate the adolescent indignities of hormonal surges, mm-hmm. complicated sexuality, and the shame, shame, that shame, comes with it. Shame, shame, uh, masturbating. Yeah, but, but beyond the educational and hilarious nature of this outrageous series, this season also manages to be more emotionally resonant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it is very gross, it goes for shock value often, but the lessons and allegories it addresses, whether it's about masturbation, or boobs, or something else, it's actually pretty vital. Okay. Um, the show is often more insightful than any conversation that you can have with your parents or any sex ed class you have in school and that's surprising uh what did you think about this uh isa Fung? oh man i mean i really enjoyed season one right mm. i thought it was something pretty fresh and kind of like a topic that we haven't covered in animation for like ever actually and the way they went about it was very interesting i did feel that they took a lot of uh very bold they made a lot of very bold moves mm. for season two uh, I was especially impressed with the Planned Parenthood episode. Yeah, um, the highlight episode of the season. Yeah, for sure. For, for sure. I, I thought that was extremely bold. Yeah. Uh, extremely well told. They made their point. They made it firmly and stuck to it the entire way. I agree. Yeah, and uh, uh, definitely the standout episode of the season. Uh, I thought the introduction of our new uh, antagonist, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, in the form of... The Shame? The Shame. Yeah. The Shame, shame wizard. wizard. Shame Wizard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty interesting. I was actually very curious as to how they would kind of tie all of that up. Uh, I felt like midway through the season after he's introduced, I wasn't quite sure how that, all the, like, these little sort of anecdotes of his involvement in the different children's lives would add up. Uh, I was kind of satisfied with how it did in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, generally, uh, really enjoyed it. I feel like we got to see a lot more character development from um, the kids this time around. Both the girls and the guys this time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I actually some of the adults too. Even like Coach Steve. Yes. Yeah. Actually, Coach Steve was surprising. I yeah. he's an annoying ass character. But Supposed I, to be a lover, yeah. Yeah, but I I, I really did enjoy uh, the stories that some of surrounding him. Question is who's who's Nicole voicing? Uh, I think one of the main kids, one of the two main kids. Oh. Um, yeah. Is he also a demon? Uh, he has multiple voices. Yeah. Uh, I think the only person that only has one voice is Jordan Peele who voices uh the dead jazz guy. I yeah. His name. Ah. 
dead jazz guy. Yeah, uh, the, the one that lives in uh, Duke, the Duke. attic, uh, Duke, Duke Ellington. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. so Jordan Peele voices Duke Ellington. Yeah, uh, Maya Rudolph is in it as well, and yeah. Fred Armisen and all that, like the usual show. The usual gang, uh. Yeah. Mm. Uh, how would you rate uh, the second season of Big Mouth? I'm going to give it a 7.5. Oh, mm. wow. Yeah, uh, I did feel that um, some of the jokes weren't like stellar. Yeah. You know, uh, and there were certain jokes that were a bit too crass for my liking. Mm. Like, even with that track record, right? I was just like, okay, that was just, uh, right, you know. Yeah. It didn't really land. I, I do feel a lot of the jokes this season, there were a lot more, but they didn't land as often as they did in season one for me. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I did pull two scenario. Uh, I would rate this as a 7 out of 10. I actually did like it more than season 1, which I only rate a 6.5 out of 10. Yeah. Uh, season 2 is a slight improvement for me. It's a 7. I thought... Uh, I didn't find season 1 particularly funny. I just found its premise very uh, new and fresh. Mm, and yes. what it was trying to teach kids in yeah. a very crass way. Yeah. Uh, that being said, like I find a lot of the same faults as you. Yeah. So uh, that's a 7 out of 10 for me. Mm. Uh, next up, we'll be going back to the big screen. Uh, talking about a possessed loser uh, in Venom. Uh, Sony kicks off its line of non-MCU-related Spider-Man movies, which yep. won't include Spider-Man, by the way. So <sighs> fucking confusing! Because they don't want to share their toys with uh, Kevin Feige. Yeah. Uh, but this is a star-studded Venom adaptation starring Tom Hardy, Michelle Williams, and Riz Ahmed, uh, Emmy and uh, Oscar winners, all of them. All of them. Uh, is Venom better than Spider-Man 3? <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, it is. Does that yeah. make it a good movie? No. No, no it doesn't. <laughs> doesn't. Well... Wait, wait. Venom is yeah. We'll we'll get into <laughs> we'll get that. Into that yeah. Um, I I feel like Venom is a really funny rom com. Yes. Or an, an entertaining take buddy on cop. a buddy cop movie disguised as a dumb early two thousands comic book mm-hmm. movie in a vein of Ghost Rider or Daredevil or something mm-hmm. like that. So take it for what it is and adjust expectations accordingly. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's surprising rom com expects with uh Anne and Eddie Brock mm-hmm. with Venom as the wingman. It works yeah. as well as Eddie Brock and Venom. Uh, it, there's a bickering slapstick buddy cop comedy feel. feel as well a bit like Jim Carrey and The Mask actually yeah. um, but every, everything else kind of doesn't work for me uh, plot logic characterization kind of go out the window as the movie really goes off the rails in some cringe worthy ways there are even noticeable continuity errors in editing um, oh there are? yeah okay so there was this one point where Riz Ahmed actually um, gives a kid a pin yeah he gives a kid a pin and then uh, the camera cuts back to him and the pin is still on his shoulder. Oh, yeah. wow. So small things like that like, clearly shows that he weren't trying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah because uh, if you were trying, you record that. Lah. Correct. Uh, two of the best actors of our time in Michelle Williams and Riz Ahmed are totally wasted. Uh, Williams is burdened by a, a horrendous wig while Riz is stuck with stilted and generic evil genius mm, dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, perhaps with an R rating and added gratuity, this could have been a camp classic. But alas, this movie is mostly a failure for me, admittedly, and an entertaining failure. Yeah. Uh, the most constructive thing I can say about this is, uh, please watch Upgrade if you're looking for a totally truer Venom Correct. movie. Correct. Which we really reviewed want... last season. Last, 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 last episode. episode, yeah. Uh, what do you guys think of this movie? Honestly, I had a lot of fun. It was a fun movie. It was a fun yeah, movie. I can't, I can't right? dispute that at all. Um, there was really good chase sequences. There was really good fight sequences. Yeah. How Venom was... Um, the CGI Fleshed for out. Venom was, was pretty yeah, good. Yeah, it was pretty good. Right? Uh, and everything that you... Like how they got... It really looked like it was from the comics. Mm. Right? How it, uh, he had like the half-face Venom. Yeah. Or when he's unhelmeted. Yeah. You know, all that kind of work. But then... There was no... There was no... Just, there was something missing. Mm. Uh, from just historical Spider-Man. La, historical yeah. Venom. La, mm. You know? And as much as you don't want to compare the source material to a movie... Yeah. 
it's, it's too integral. It's too it's integral, too right? integral for them to remove uh, Venom from kind of like the world that he was born into, right? Mm. Or the universe that he's born into because, and yeah, expect it to work, correct. you know? Uh, and I mean, I kind of appreciate the attempt at this whole like uh, symbiote like exploring all the other symbiotes and all of that and maybe building up to that but oh man it fell flat on his face that yeah. being said I still had a lot of fun a lot of fun uh, but quite honestly Upgrade was a far better movie correct a far better Venom movie far right. better Venom and movie and just the last thing to add like if you have all these symbiotes right, like Riot and Lesher and you know all these other symbiotes Carnage that, yeah that you could have used yeah then why and, not go straight for that yeah instead of going this half as there's so much lore that you can taken out and you know still managed to retain certain semblance of Venom. Yeah, yeah. sure. Which sure. I felt was missing. How would, yeah. you, uh, how would you rate this film? Man. I'll give it a 6. Yeah, I had a I'll, lot give, of I'll give it a 6. It's good for a laugh. Yeah. Uh, Actually, no, sorry. Uh, let me take that. I'll give it a 5. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. You rate it as a 6 though? Yeah, it's okay. worth a laugh. It's 6 out, out of 10, 5 out of 10. They, they are passing marks. Yeah. Um, I'll rate it like a 7 out of 10 as a rom-com, 3 out of 10 as a comic book Therefore, movie. 5. So therefore, this is an overall 5 out of 10. Yeah. Uh, it five out of ten is technically rotten on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's still a slight recommendation because you will have fun at this movie. You will, you will have, have fun, fun at this. Yeah. Yes, so at the sure. very least, there's that like. It's yeah. not a worth. It's not. It's not. It's not a waste of money. It's shall yeah. we say yeah. Yeah. Uh, next up, we'll be going into quick hits, which is my little segment where I talk about some of the things that maybe Hardy and Isa have not had a chance to to watch because we got job or to read. Uh, and because my my job is to watch and read things. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. Uh, the first thing I would like to talk about is an animated show called The Venture Brothers, which is back for its seventh season. Mm-hmm. It's finally back. After uh, how long? It's been away for six, seven years. It's, it's been a long time. Like, this is finally returning for its seventh season. The Venture Brothers still remains one of the standard bearers for this golden age of adult animation, I feel. Um, in fact, it's sharp satire of Han- Hanna-Barbera ca- cartoons, superhero tropes, spy adventure conventions, and heady sci-fi concepts feel fresher than ever. Uh, Jackson Public and Doc Hammer waste no time in rewarding patient fans with by immediately paying off long-running mysteries that uh, we've, we've been like kind of uh, clinging waiting for seven years for like years. You know, there've only been three seasons over the last ten years, so it's been wow. Uh, it's been a long time, lah. Uh, because it's traditionally hand-drawn, so mm. it, it takes a while. And uh, yeah, and, and because it, it's plot actually is very complicated, it takes uh. a while to work it out. Uh, but yeah, they do pay off long-running mysteries, they deliver shocking twists, and they unveil like hidden backstories that really find the show's core relationships. So this is a very very consequential season. Uh, for my money, this is the show that laid the groundwork for all the acclaimed adult animated shows of the 2010s. Uh, critics like to point to the emotional nuance of Bojack Horseman, the maybe metaphysical inventiveness of Rick and Morty, the dense serialization of Archer as touchstones, as, as they should be, they deserve touchstones. Um, but I, I do have to point out, and I'm here to say that the Venture Brothers did it first. And I'm going to go the extra mile and say the Venture Brothers did it better. Okay. Uh, the Venture Brothers started out as like this irreverent take on Johnny Quest, but over the years it's evolved into the most complex and versatile cartoon of them all that's built upon dense mythology and a wealth of deep cut genre references. Plus, it's penchant for packing every frame with clever running jokes, uh, callbacks to forgot- long-forgotten storylines, and creative side gags would make even hardcore Arrested Development fans dizzy, I feel. Wow. Uh, most importantly, it introduced three new elements into Western adult animation back in the early 2000s. Extensive world-building, 
heavily serialized continuity because you know the Simpsons and South Park they didn't do that yeah. and uh, genuine emotional development for characters la. anchored by themes of um, a stunted man-child who peaked far too early because of fame and unhealthy upbringing sounds like Sterling Archer uh, and Bojack Horseman yeah. uh, The Venture Brothers deals with like masculine failure toxic masculinity parental trauma narcissistic overcompensation and self-destructive insecurity long before Sterling Archer or Bojack Horseman did la. yeah, yeah um, it, it's a bit of a pioneer in that sense mm. the seriality and running gags of Archer wouldn't be possible about The Venture Brothers mm. first showing them how to do so and I'm gonna get heat for this because Rick and Morty fans are nuts and they like to sh- they like to say the sh- show is so original. Rick and Morty fans are a bit like Star Wars fans in terms of you know, they can be a bit toxic. Yes, right? they can. Uh, but that is the show that seems to most often rip off the Venture Brothers. Uh, uh, it's, okay. it's Rick and Morty la. But anyways, I'm not I'm not here to compare both of them la. Uh, from sharp satirization of superhero tropes to horrific yet hilarious explorations of philosophically thorny sci-fi concepts. I would like to say, yeah, both Red and Morty and, and Venture Brothers revel in unraveling an idea and taking it to its darkest, funniest, and most radical conclusions. Mm-hmm. It's easy to subvert and make fun of conventions like Deadpool. What the Venture Brothers do so well is find entirely fresh takes on well-trodden genre conceits that are bizarre, absurdist, existentialist, and hysterical. Uh, this season is an 8 out of 10 for me. Wow. Yeah. Uh, very, so it's a very high recommend. High, very high recommend. Uh, next up, I'm going to be talking about a Netflix movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, called, called Hold the Duck mm. Hold the Duck uh, It's directed by Green Room director Jeremy Saunier uh, This is his latest film And it is an Im- oppressively brutal And disturbing art horror mm-hmm. Set in the Alaskan wilderness It's uh, beautiful to look at But damn you feel every harsh and gruesome moment uh, Hold the Duck's unrelenting White knuckle tension uh, It's frequently jolted by moments Of truly shocking violence That left me gasping and I don't mean the kind of cartoon violence that you see in Mandy or John Wick or Upgrade. I mean viscerally real violence. Uh, there's also a jaw-dropping action sequence in the middle that's as thrilling and terrifying as anything that I was, I've ever seen in cinema this year. Uh, what, truly one of the best action set pieces of 2018. Uh, narratively, it might be some might be put off by its ambiguity. Uh, okay. But I, for one, greatly appreciate that we are left to decipher its Freudian madness for ourselves. Uh, it's more thematic and atmospheric. Uh, it's more atmosphere driven than story driven mm-hmm. It's forays into indigenous mysticism Indicates that the film's grisly happenings Are the result of demonic possessions Or animal spirits yeah. uh, Or it could be about alienation And how the outskirts of civilization Force people to embrace their basest primal instincts um, Either way it's thoroughly haunting uh, Whichever way you lean la, And it's up to you to interpret how it is This is a 7.5 out of 10 for me Another high recommend Another high recommend. Next up I'm going to be talking about another horror movie uh, this one is in cinemas. It's called Hellfest. Mm-hmm. Hellfest has a really cool premise. It's about a group of horror fans who go to a horror-themed amusement park. The kicker is there's a real mask killer on the grounds and oh. he's targeting horror fans with the tropes that they adore so much. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, it's neither clever nor frightening enough to leave, of an, to leave much of an impression. Uh, Hellfest is a tedious slasher that you've seen done better a million times before. Like Plus say, it came out near Halloween. Correct. Yeah, you should, you should just go watch Halloween. Uh, it's rendered instantly forgettable by its disinterest, disinterest in character, plot, and motivation. So this is a 3 out of 10 for me. Ouch! Yeah, I know. Very lowly Ooh. rated. So I uh, definitely go watch Halloween instead. What else? Uh, next up, I'm going to be talking about the Charmed Reboot. The Charmed Reboot isn't the disaster many anticipated it to be. Oh, really? Yeah. Does that mean that it's a good... No, it's not. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's just not a disaster like Yes, uh, but unlike many people my age who look back with rose-tinted glasses, I fully recognize the original charm wasn't, wasn't good, good either. Yes, thank you. So why should this new version be held to be held to higher standards? There's no higher standard. I mean, what the fuck are you guys talking about? <laughs> uh, it's far less campy than its source material. It still features the clunky dialogue that charm is, no, is oh, known no. for. So, I mean, it's true to form. That being said, the new show is far more political in its approach, sometimes giving its uh, feminist allegories more of an itch. Other times, the show feels like a cavalcade of uh, politically correct, correct cliches amidst some middling superheroes. Is there a lesbian sister? Oh, um, yes. Uh, oh. But yeah, it's kind of just a middling supernatural adventure. Okay. So this is a 5 out of 10 for me. Mm. Mm. Uh, much like the original charm was also a 5 out of 10 for me. So not a disaster, it stays true. Okay. 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 Uh next up we'll be talking about a Netflix movie. A lot of Netflix movie out this movies out. Wait, this what month. is it called? Is this It's called Apostle. Apostle. Yeah. yeah. Uh directed by the Reed writer director Gareth Evans. Apostle is Evans's first full length foray into horror movies, as well as his first uh period piece. In many ways this is virgin territory for Evans, but in other ways it's also classic Evans. By which I mean that it's a bone-crunchingly visceral exercise in intensity that's not for the weak stomach. Uh, it's a mix of atmospheric supernatural folk horror, like uh, The Witch or 1973's Wicker Man, alongside his trademark ultra-violent action sequence like, well, The Raid. Uh, the combination is interesting, it doesn't always work, um, and Evans's narrative shortcomings can lead to some tedious stretches. Uh, by the time that that super gory, super violent, super ruthless third act happens, it'll be worth it though. Uh, this is not a must watch by any means because it's a story that's been told many times in the revenge thriller. Uh, someone inf- inf- infiltrates a cult to rescue or exact revenge for a kidnapped girl. Uh, but it's an intriguing genre mashup held together by compelling performances from Legion's Dan Stevens and uh, the Master of Sexes. Michael Sheen. Ah. Uh, if you have a couple of hours to spare, this one might be up your alley if you're a Gareth Evans fan. So this is a 6 out of 10 for me. I mean, I'm a Reed fan, la, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, there are some Reed S sequences okay, in here. Okay, that, okay. That, that will... Corridor uh, fight, uh, uh, There are no corridors uh-huh. in the... In, in like 1800s know, maybe, maybe Victorian era. Or something, you know? uh, there are some close quarters fights, but uh, not in a corridor. Okay. Sure. Uh, next up, we'll be talking about uh, Harvey Birdman, Attorney General. Uh, Harvey Birdman is. I love the title. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Harvey Birdman is back for a half hour special on Adult Swim, and I couldn't be happier. For those unfamiliar, Harvey Birdman was a bizarre legal drama parody. Made up of characters from classic Hanna-Barbera cartoons. So, for example, if uh, Shaggy and Scooby were arrested for marijuana, Harvey would be like their criminal defense attorney. Okay. Uh, it was amazing and probably my favorite of Adult Swim's OG lineup. You know, alongside shows like Space Goes to Coast, uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, and stuff like that. Lah. Uh, this return special finds Harvey Birdman promoted to attorney general, where he's forced to impeach Ken Seven, who is voiced by uh, Stephen Colbert, who is an unstable billionaire who has risen to the presidency seemingly overnight not shit uh, only to surround himself with a cast of literally cartoonish characters masquerading as advisors la. the commentary is obvious uh, <laughs> but Harvey Birdman avoids being heavy handed because its humour is absurdist la, and, okay. f- and frantically non sequitur 
which is uh, how OG Adult Swim used to be. It's kind of a throwback to that, like the, the stoner cartoons back in the early 2000s, so I'm glad it's retained that essence. Uh, this is a 7.5 out of 10 for me. Nice. Uh, next up, I'm going to be talking about one particular episode of OKKO Let's Be Heroes called Crossover Nexus. Mm-hmm. So I've reviewed season one of OKKO Let's Be Heroes previously in a in an earlier genre equality episode. Mm-hmm. But this season two episode entitled Crossover Nexus, as I mentioned, deserves its own spot. Because it's a huge crossover that sees KO teaming up with Garnet from Steven Universe, Ben from Band 10, and Raven from Teen Titans Go. Wow. Uh, the story is uh, is simple. Uh. It's basically set in a decimated Cartoon Network city. Uh, and KO is summoned by a villain called Strike, who plans on eradicating all the heroes from Cartoon Network. Uh, the Cartoon Network shared universe, uh, I guess. <laughs> uh, it's only 11 minutes, but it somehow manages to pack in references and easter eggs to nearly every show Cartoon Network has ever made, from Johnny Bravo to Dexter's Lab to Powerpuff Girls to everything else. Uh, even Cartoon Network City, or CN City as this is called, mm-hmm. used to be a Cartoon Network commercial in the early 2000s, you know, uh, when they would have all the characters basically interacting oh, with right. each other. Okay, yeah, okay. so it's set in that. I have a vague recollection of that. Okay. So it's a throwback to all those early 2000s stuff, uh, depicting everyone on the network interacting, living in the same city. Uh, at only 11 minutes, it's a low investment and a must-watch for, for anybody who grew up on Cartoon Network. Oh, so this man. is an 8 out of okay, 10. Sweet. Uh, next up, I'll be talking about Marvel Rising, Secret Warriors. Nice. <laughs> a few genre equality episodes ago, I reviewed a series of short animated uh, episodes entitled Marvel Rising Initiation. Yeah. That introduced a new wave of young, more diverse, more obscure superheroes like Squirrel Girl, Kamala Khan, America Chavez, amongst others, who would take center stage in an animated feature-length film. Uh, now the film's out, it's on Disney, Disney XD, and it's called Secret Warriors. Uh, I really adored the mini episode, so I had high hopes for this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, uh, it didn't disappoint. Uh, keep in mind that this is a kid's show aimed at tweens, so the story is simplistic. But its breezy sense of heart and warmth and fun is what carries this movie. Um, the voice acting is cute. Squirrel and Kamala Khan steal the show, as they always do. And I enjoyed this message of inclusivity. That being said, running at 80 minutes, this is an adventure that feels a bit too slight to be given a high rating. So this is a 7 out of 10. Oh, okay. Alright, uh, we're going to cap off this episode by talking about the pull list, which is a little segment where we recommend some reading material. This month, I will be recommending two titles. One is a Singaporean book. Uh, and the other is one of the new uh, comic book titles out on Vertigo's uh, Rebirth. Yeah. Uh, Vertigo is now back, you know, the, the famous title that both Sandman yeah. and Watchmen and all mm-hmm. of that. Uh, now it's back and he has a bunch of great new titles. But first, I'm going to be talking about Dragonhearted. Mm. Uh, a few months ago, local author um, Siyashi Min, uh, whose debut novel Dragonhearted, won the Hedwig Anwar Children's Book Award, mm-hmm. which is the National Prize for Children's Literature. Yeah. Uh, since it was genre, I thought I'd check it out. So I went to my local library and uh, I, I read the book. Uh, and it's a quick read, it's like 20 minutes, so I just oh, sat down wow. and read it. Um, it's based on a Chinese myth of uh, Chinese New Year, where a monster called Nian ravages the land and has to be warded off by loud noises and the color red, right? Yeah. Uh, that's the original myth. La. In the original myth, is the old man who defeats the monster. Mm-hmm. But uh, Xie Shi Min wrote a version in which it was a young primary school girl who did the saving. So now, besides defeating an ancient monster, the protagonist and her friends also have to deal with everyday school problems like tuition and strict teachers and bullying and stuff like oh, that. Wow. So it's a very like Kamala Khan kind of story. Yeah. Uh, young superhero. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dig it. It's an 8 out of 10. Wow. Uh, read, okay. uh, I'm, I'm going to definitely go, I'm gonna go find it. Uh, finally, we're going to be talking about Border Town. Uh, Border Town is, uh, is part of the new Vertigo imprint. Yep. Uh, some of the best comic book stories 
find inspiration in the real world. And this is certainly the case with uh, Border Town, created by writer Eric M. Esquivel. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the first title, as I mentioned, from the uh, DC's Vertigo's uh, white, uh, launch white. Yeah. Uh, and it tells the story of a crack at the border between worlds that causes monsters from Mexican folklore to spill out into the small town of Devil's Fork, Arizona. Ooh. Uh, Frank Dominguez is the new kid in town who uh, and he has to fight the monsters and the brewing racial tension in town uh, because a lot of the locals are convinced that the deaths are caused because of the quote-unquote the illegals. La. So, uh, I mean, you know. Mexican monsters. Mexican monsters. La. Uh, because of his amazing allegory and sharp writing, this is, I would say, a 9 out of 10. Wow, 9? Yeah, very highly. Uh, admittedly, I've only read the first um, 3 to 4 issues. Okay. Uh, so, I have... By no means, I don't have like a holistic overview. How many issues are there? Uh, right now, I think it's up is monthly lah. So it's only been uh, five issues maybe. Okay, so you're not that far behind lah. Uh, no, I'm not that far behind lah. Uh, but I, that being said, I can't you know speak to the quality of the okay. book overall because it's only been uh, the first few issues. So uh, yeah, that's that's about it for this month. Actually, right? Yes. We have a bit of time. Yeah. So I'm 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 gonna talk about one more title. Go ahead. One more title. Uh, and I'm I'm gonna break my own rule here. I understand that we usually wait until a season ends to oh, talk no. about a show. What are we going to do? Uh, do you know, we're going to talk about the show yeah. more holistically, but I'm kind of cashing in like my co-founder powers to break that rule. Yeah, go this one. Because uh, I'm going to talk about the first few episodes of Supergirl Season 4, oh. which has been so good. Okay. It's been so good. <laughs> I have to talk about it now to encourage people to, to watch. Keep watching it, yeah, yeah uh, look, Supergirl has always been overtly political. And yeah, while yes. it can be ham-fisted, it's always on point. And it's never been more timely or urgent than right here. This season mainly focuses on the wave of anti-immigration extremists against literal alien immigrants. Mm. In this case, uh, you know, literal alien immigrants. Uh, <laughs> um, plaguing yes. national city. Uh, but a lot of people are starting to push back against them with hate crimes. Uh, so seeing a beacon of hope and optimism like Kara try to wrap her head around... Uh, 4chan level bigotry is yeah. fascinating. Mm -hmm. uh, it's making Supergirl question her inherent belief in the goodness of humanity. And it's an arc that I'm keen to be to see explored uh, deeper on later. Uh, this, that is not really a powered bad guy to fight this time so much as white, widespread alt-right ideology in everyday people. So Supergirl has no clue how to combat something like this. Because you know the average everyday citizen, the people that she saves, the... Uh, the 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 mother at a at a school or anybody lah. But that's what we've always said about Supergirl. Yeah, there is. I mean, or Supergirl or Superman, people yeah. with that kind of powers yeah. is that the moment the the enemy is an idea, yeah. it becomes a more intriguing story. Yes, for exactly. Sure. Yeah. yeah, but before you think that this is a liberal circle joke season, uh -huh. and I only say this because I am an like, SGW liberal, so it's hitting all my confirmation bias buttons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it actually crafts good Nihon stories for the other side. Oh, okay. Uh, episode 3 in particular is a great flashback tale about how a good, normal, open-minded person can be set towards the path of radicalization. Uh, played brilliantly by Sam Whitwell, uh, this everyday citizen starts out as like a kind family man. He even outrightly rejects his father's xenophobic rhetoric regarding aliens and defends an alien from a mob lynching. Uh, but then this town and his dad loses their steel working jobs to alien technology. Oh, and by the way, this episode is called Man of Steel because, you know, he's a steel worker. Oh, clever. So, uh, the first Kryptonian invasion in Season 1 destroys his town and infrastructure, leaving everyone without industry. But he's still steadfast in being open-minded despite losing his job. 
And then the Dexamite invasion in season two leaves his family homeless. But he's still he's still hanging on. He's okay, still hanging okay. on. You know, he doesn't want to be a hateful person. Uh, he brings up his concerns uh, normally to politicians, to business leaders, to uh, newspapers. He says, you know, there are no insurance for alien attacks. There's no attention to the aftermath of the collateral damage, even as the media adores Supergo. Uh-huh. But he's dismissed. Uh, and then the Argo City invasion in season three happens, kills his father, and, that's, and that's the last straw. He adopts his father's stance and begins actively corralling hopeless humans with grassroots a first message. Uh, <coughs> what's scary is that he kind of has a point and yeah. he resonates with people who have been ignored. Uh, if you're wondering how Trump can strike a chord with so many people, you actually haven't been paying attention, <coughs> especially to the people that societal progress has left behind. Mm-hmm. The most dangerous thing you can do is to label the other side as stupid or ignorant. Yeah. Because as hard as it sounds, a little, a little sympathy might bridge the gap. Yeah. Um, it traces the slippery slope from hardship to blaming the other to outright violence. Uh, and it's not so far-fetched, you know, given especially this week, we just had, you know, the mail bombings and yeah. the synagogue shootings and stuff yeah. like that. Um, what I loved about this is that uh, it tells stories on both sides and Supergo as a show is telling us that the core of these complicated issues and cultural division is a lack of empathy yeah. on, on, on either side. Uh, look, the show is in no way defending outright ideology. Nor is it abandoning its liberal uh, philosophy. It just wants to showcase a tendency for us to group up in an us versus them partisan manner. Yeah. At its core, Supergo uh, has always been a show about empathy, right? And the danger of what happens when, you rem- when fear removes empathy from the equation. Uh, when you're dealing with uh, anything from bank robbers to alien invaders to even racist terrorists, uh, the key is empathy. La. Uh, it's, it's pretty brilliant. Additionally, season 4 also features a subplot starring transgender actress Nicole Means. Mm. Uh, she's super adorable as Kara's uh, reporter protege in uh, season 4. Uh, Kara is becoming more like Cat Grant in her work, a bit, a, a bit more uh, confident, yeah. uh, a bit more of a leader in the office. Okay. So she takes an interest in mentoring a rookie who's very much like her bumbling self in season 1. A socially awkward journalist, plus secret powers, plus the secret identity of her being a transgender woman. Uh, it's a lovely dynamic uh, for the first ever transgender hero on screen in TV or film. So that's great. There we go. Uh, Progress! I think like the first three episodes, I mean, the only the first three episodes, like, it's a 10 out of 10 so far. This has been a brilliant season and I encourage you all to watch it. La. Definitely. Uh, we'll be back next month without Isa, unfortunately. Yes. Bye-bye, Isa. Have fun at Reservist. Yeah. Yes, I will be watching all of that good stuff in camp. Hopefully, right? Yeah. yeah hopefully. Uh, but as we mentioned, we'll be talking about some big franchise sequels mm. in terms of Bracket Ralph 2. Yes. We'll be talking about Fantastic Beasts 2. Uh, and we will be catching up on Sabrina, which we didn't have time to watch. Yeah. Uh, it, it only premiered in late October, so yeah. I mean, this has been a, a really tight schedule yeah, for us. So we will catch up on Sabrina next month. I lot, cannot wait. There are a lot of other topics, of course, that, that we will dial. I really want to talk about Sabrina. I caught about like three or four episodes. Right? Me too. Yeah, yeah. Better mm-hmm. than Riverdale. Oh, way better. Oh, for well. Sure. For sure. Nice, nice. Can't wait, can't wait. Yeah. Uh, till then, this has been Hit Zero. I'm Adi. I'm Aisa. Uh, we'll catch you next month. Bye-bye. Bye.